0: From the dark and mysterious Middle Ages, full of mystery and violence, there now comes to the screen, fear rises from the tomb. A curse which will bring these people to the most terrifying situations. rises from the tomb with Emma Cohen, Paul Nashy, Vic Winner, Christina Suriani, Betsabe Ruiz, and Helga Linet in the role of... rises from the tomb with all the mystery and terror of medieval rites and witchcraft ah! the infernal powers of evil persecuting these defenseless beings Only the talisman could free them from the, the spellbinding afterwards. I'm Fear r- rises from the tomb. She
1: the the sacrifice the
0: Only the- a terrifying experience. It will take you a long time to forget. Rises from the Tomb, a Pro Films production, directed by Carlos Aurez. Seven moons have passed.
1: Today we shall take them. I want when the supreme day comes that they are sufficiently prepared for the sacrifice.
2: Welcome to the Nashy Cast. This is a very strange
3: episode, and I am Rod Barnett. I am Troy Gwynn, and we yes, we are stranger, strange co-hosts for a strange <laughs> episode. Yes, we're doing something a little different, and uh, to be
2: honest, we do things differently occasionally. But this is the most different we've mm-hmm. done in a little while. Mm-hmm. This is going to start a series of reoccurring podcasts in which we look back at films that we've already covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, In other words, we're revisiting some of the classic Paul Nashie films here on the show... To see if years later we have anything yeah. new, fresh, or interesting to say about them.
3: We've uh, looked back on films of ourselves covering these films, and they're amazing how grainy and uh, and <laughs> how how, old, uh, how young we look and how uh, <laughs> how much more hair I had. <laughs> and now, yeah, our voices have changed since then, and and you know, <laughs>
2: thinking of starting to adopt the uh, the Paul Nashy wig thing. The wig, uh, yeah,
3: we I need think the I bonus. Might go with the,
2: <laughs> the various hair pieces. I might invest some money in that particular bit of
3: that's right uh,
2: technology, but. (laughs) No, today we are going to talk to you about, primarily the show is going to feature uh, us looking back at one of our favorite Nashi films, Horror Rises from the Tomb, which is uh, a blast from the past. It's an episode that we covered up at length on the second episode of our podcast. If you would like a really in-depth scene-by-scene look at the film, I will point you to that episode. It is still available. You can download it and go hunt it and uh, go hunt it out and uh, see you know see if you enjoy that kind of uh, in-depth point-by-point uh examination of just what it means to have a catapult uh in in your film
3: <laughs> a literal cat yeah. catapult uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: And uh, boy, we we just didn't leave that one alone. Yeah, no, no. I mean, That was I think that was the, our first examination of the the spring loaded cat. But uh, we're not going to do a yeah, scene right. by scene breakdown no. of that film again. We love it, yeah. and I'm really glad to have been able to sit down and watch it again. Mm. Um, this was my umpteenth viewing of Heart Rises from the Tomb*. I'm, I have no idea how many times mm. I've seen that movie at this point. Yeah,
3: I think the last time. I guess the last time I saw it was when we uh, hosted it at the Old uh, Black Raven Emporium when we hosted our Nashi Nights and we showed. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the last time I've watched it. Uh, that may been that may have uh, been, yeah, yeah, but uh, but yes, I mean, I welcome any excuse, <laughs> you know. I don't need need no excuse to watch it, but uh, yeah.
2: The fun that we hope to have with this is just that um, as time has gone by and we've you know spent more time going through Nashi's films, uh, learned more about him, kind mm-hmm. of you know mm-hmm. essentially uh, soaked completely in the juices that mm-hmm. flow from mm-hmm. Paul Nashi, kind of inhaled the musk yeah. and absorbed <laughs> as much of it as we possibly can. Right. We kind of wonder if our views on the films mm. will alter, or if there are things that we're going to see going back to these films that weren't mm. apparent mm. when we first covered them. So that will be uh, th- this kind of a subset of podcasts will be a reoccurring feature mm. of the Nashi Cast.
3: A lot, I think a lot of what will trigger it too will be a Blu-ray release of which, unfortunately, has not happened with *Horror Rises from the Tomb*, but with the other two films we're going to discuss here. What you know, what prompted this was whenever uh, Nashi film is released to Blu-ray regardless of the film it's always big news and we'll probably use that a lot of times as a excuse a jumping point like oh this is the film we should revisit now because now we have a nice Blu-ray of it
2: yeah. so you're uh, what you're saying is yeah. that People better start releasing more Blu-rays. Yeah,
3: that's right. If they want to Paul keep, if they want to keep the the Nashy cast going, I mean, I can't imagine a stronger incentive. for, <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> a more crucial, vital, essential reason for all these companies to put out Blu-rays than to cause us to podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: You might you might be incentivizing the lack of Paul Nashy podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Paul Nashy Blu-ray releases, pardon
1: me. <laughs>
2: oh my goodness. Well, so folks, uh, that is uh, that's going to be the meat of the podcast mm-hmm. this evening, mm-hmm. but also before we get to that, we want to talk about, as Troy just brought up, a couple of recent Paul Nashie Blu-ray releases. So, let's talk about them in uh, what would roughly be chronological order of the release of the Blu-ray. First up, let's talk about Crimson, which is the uh, French made crime film that Paul Nashie made in, uh, what year was it? 1974,
3: I think? Oh gosh, I believe that's about right. I I think that's right.
2: 1976. So, uh... Middle of his most fertile period, or mm-hmm, I, yeah. I, maybe even saying you know, kind of broaching the end of the really most productive series, right. or, or, or which was kind of like
3: from seventy two to seventy six. At the yeah, seventy two might even say I mean seventy two seventy three was when he was just man. He was oh, yeah, the man, about, man him, about town. Man, he was he was just <laughs> you know <laughs> really really, really good. But
2: so uh, crimson. Uh, is a film that has been released in the states on on dvd before uh it was released with uh, the 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 clothed quote-unquote clothed version of the film as the main uh main feature and then it had uh, the uh, kind of nude alternate scenes as an extra and from my understanding this is uh, the way the blu-ray is set up as well am i
3: correct well, what the Blu-ray does is actually two versions of the film. Uh, oh. What it does, it actually has the uncut, all the uncut stuff, all the nudity is put, it put back into the front. It it's the French language version with subtitles, English subtitled, is the complete uncut version with the nudity. And then it also has the English dub version, which is, which is what we reviewed, really, when we, yeah. when we did the show.
2: So, that's interesting. Uh, you may have figured out, uh, dear listener, that Rod does not have the Blu-ray of Crimson. And um, that is because I can't bring myself. I haven't been able to bring myself yet <laughs> yes. to repurchase the film because I fucking hate Crimson. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not gonna. Yeah. Not yeah. gonna no. hide my All dislike. Right. Right. Not gonna pretend that there's something hidden in Crimson that's going to uh, mm-hmm. eventually make me uh, turn around and do a 180 and just love this film. It's just. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but it's not mm-hmm. going to happen. Uh, I'm not against rewatching it.
3: It's just that you don't want to um, pay. You don't want to pay to do it. Correct. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I still own my DVD of it, so if I ever had the the intense urge, I will say this: mm-hmm. if the, the it has both versions of the film on there, I do remember remarking when we mm-hmm. talked about Crimson the first time that having those nude sequences in the film might have juiced the movie along a little bit better. It might have actually added enough exploitative element yeah. to the film for me to feel like it was worth going through mm-hmm. instead of suffering through. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that version of the film available and not just having those scenes as an added extra, mm-hmm. uh, that's, 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 that's that's a good idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. That might encourage me to one day, if the price is right, pick that Blu-ray up. I'm not discouraging anyone who is a Paul Nashie fan from seeing Crimson because, quite honestly... There are people out there who like the film. Mm-hmm.
3: That's true. Um,
2: I don't understand them,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but there are yeah. people. Are there, well, there, there. So, so,
3: so what he's what he's basically saying here is is yours truly had to actually watch. I'm the one that had to actually watch the, the film. And I feel
2: I feel a measure of guilt about putting about putting that on your shoulders because I don't think you like the movie any more than I do, but. Mm. Um, you foolishly gone ahead and ordered it, and I just realized that I could just lay back and let you let you, let you run with this ball. So uh, here's my. Here's I guess
3: my feeling was that I felt on, I felt duty bound because it was a Paul Nashie film on Blu-ray, and obviously you don't obviously you didn't take the oath that I took uh, when we started this show. You must have had your fingers crossed behind your back when we swore to buy every film. Nashie- Blu-ray. Uh, that was
2: <laughs> um, just because I haven't bought it yet, yeah. doesn't mean that someday down hey. the road.
3: Hey, no, no, it's all right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm being uh, very, uh, I'm being very gracious and diplomatic about this, dear listener, because as we all know, payback is a bitch, and oh, I keep God. thinking that someday Tomb of the Werewolf is going to come out on Blu-ray, or oh. Operation Mantis will come out on Blu-ray, or something of that nature, and then guess who's going to be. Doing forced e- to buy that and, one, and guess who yeah. is? Guess who's going to sit back and just listen and not uh, <laughs> <laughs> not have
2: to suffer through that particular? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, will be honest. If uh, Operation Mantis ever gets released on on Blu-ray, yeah. I will buy it just because, <laughs> because it that will be the worst film I own. Yeah, yeah, on Blu-ray, yeah, that will supplant some other. Horrible piece of crap that I've managed to own, and,
3: and you get to see Paul Nashi in drag and as a, dressed as a punk rocker in blue in, 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 in high definitions. <laughs> exactly,
2: I need that in
3: HD. Yeah. So. Okay, so I, uh, would you like me now to launch into a, a sort of an overview of the of my of the Crimson the Blu-ray. Crimson
2: Blu-ray? Tell me, tell me about the Crimson Blu-ray.
3: Okay, the Crimson Blu-ray is from Redemption, which usually is a sign of quality. Uh, I agree, and they 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 did, I think, probably as good as anybody is going to do with this film. You know, as, as far as they gave it. Probably far more than it deserved. Let's be honest. Not only does it, I mean, look very, very good. I mean, probably as best it's going to look. Um, it, it has two versions of the film, so you are seeing what I would imagine to be the complete uncut version. Uh, and you're also on top of it getting an audio commentary by Richard Harlan Smith, who's a very respected name in the film film historian world. Yeah. Uh, I had said, I know I said when we first were discussing this that uh, that Richard Harlan Smith was going to do a a, a commentary. That my hope was that well. I would have liked to have heard, I was I was actually kind of hoping that he liked the film because I wanted to hear him actually try and sell me on things so, that I hadn't you, thought you of before.
2: Wanted, you wanted to hear a,
3: yeah, smart,
2: a smart yeah, film historian yeah, mm-hmm. defend the film, right? Yeah.
3: Um, pretty early on it becomes clear that he's picking up a paycheck, and I do not mean that as a criticism of He does an excellent job, as he always does, Okay. but in the sense that I don't believe that he's particularly, I, I think what happened here was Redemption just said, hey, we got this property we'd like to sweeten it with an audio commentary can you do your usual work your usual magic on it right Um, because you can tell he goes out of his way through most of the commentary to not actually comment directly on the film he does at points but most of the time he's spinning an entire kind of history of all the people involved with it every actor and he does a great job of that I mean he's awesome wealth of information as far as a lot of what he throws out there is kind of Euro Cinema 101 for people who really know a lot about it, you know. So there's probably like, I mean, as far as kind of going into the, the various genres that Crimson is trying to mix, you know, and the kind of the, you know, Crimson, as, and he says this himself at one point, you know, he certainly describes it well when he says Crimson is definitely a film that tries to throw everything against the wall and see what sticks, you know, because
4: it's,
3: right. you know, it's a crime caper, it's a gangland film, you know, like a, a Euro crime thriller. It's a uh, a mad, you know, it's a science fiction film. You know, it's a horror film. You know, and so he he takes a lot of the characters that, and and kind of goes into, I think, kind of pads out his commentary a lot with interesting but very off the track data about these particular character tropes. You know, or, or these character types. You know, archetypes that they're using. Yeah. Literally every single person that walks onto the screen, he's got some kind of filmography background. Tells you interesting details. You know, it's all like interesting stuff. But I see it as kind of. You know, he's. I, I didn't come off with the impression that this was something he was salivating to comment on. I think that again, I think he was probably just being a noted guy, a guy who does a great job of this. He's kind of picking up a paycheck, but it's a very interesting talk. Now he does throw out some interesting stuff, and he does. Uh, he's a big Victor Israel fan, so he, he gets a big kick out of.
2: How can you not once you y- oh, see yeah. once you oh, yeah. picked up on Victor Israel as a as a supporting character mm-hmm, actor mm-hmm. in a lot of these films? Mm-hmm. Once you start noticing him and noticing how different he can look and yeah. and the the, the commitment yeah. to his performance that he gives in everything you ever seen. man. He can't do anything oh, but yeah. be a Victor Israel fan. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: So he, he he talks at length about him and points out interesting things about it's true the character he plays in this film, I know we were like talking about he we were kinda of telling him like he's the you know, the the worst henchman in, in history, in other words, he's the one who screws everything up from the beginning because he's the one who steals the pearl necklace, you know, when they're trying to do the bank heist that sets off the alarm and just sets everything in motion and fucks everything up. But throughout the film, you know, one thing Smith points out in his commentary, and I hadn't thought about before, is is just kind of, he points out that it really is kind of more interesting, what is Israel's attachment to these, these, every now and then in the film, there's several scenes where he'll pull out of his pocket and just, it'll catch, you know, the, it'll catch him where he's looking at the pearls and just, and it makes you kind of, it's sort of a hidden thing of his character you never really know, but like, what is his, fasc, what's he planning on doing with these, or what's his fascination, but it's, it's almost a weird kind of childlike Fascination with these pearls, you know that that uh, that ends uh, and ends up, of course, yeah, just ruins yeah. everything. You know, so it's things like that. He he says at one point, he does say that he thinks that the film has a little bit more visual style as far as because he talks about how the director uh, Fortuny, I believe his name is, yeah, Juan Fortuny, that,
2: that he's, a, he's a Frenchman, yeah,
3: yeah. He says that is he uh, often gets categorized as as one of those just point point and shoot kind of you know directors, you know, not not much style. as, but he but he he does give he does credit the. Set director, especially the guy who did, you know the lab you know that the doctor has you know in his in his home in his house you know is he 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 points out a lot of interesting things about uh, the way that it's designed and those things like that says so, so he thinks the film overall has a little more style than than he gets credit for but that's you know that's about the the furthest extent that he he goes uh to say anything nice about the film uh, he doesn't run it down a lot either you know there's a couple of times when something ridiculous kind of happens and he he's but he's a lot easier on it than we were. As far as like, especially with the odd bits of humor, the odd attempts, like the the whole bumbling henchman thing, where they're trying to cut the head uh, off the yeah yeah you know, that, um, so that that drove me into a fit of rage. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, and he likes Sylvia Solar in it, and she is good in it. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, she's actually pretty good in the film. You know, playing the doctor's wife. you yeah, know. That's, yeah. that's um, one of the things I thought was interesting because I was going to see if he could clear this up. Was you remember the. Do you remember the bizarre, like, Attila the Hun kind of dance scene when they first go to that club? That's just like that whole dance routine between the two, like, Tartars guys uh, and the woman. No,
2: I don't remember it. I've blocked that out. Well, it's
3: like this long, strange dance sequence uh, that's very obviously, I mean, you almost immediately realize it can't be from this film. It's got to be because it'll cut back to the sadist and his henchmen where they're in the bar and they're kind of, like, supposed to be watching this from the bar but it's very obvious the whole film quality and everything is totally different. <laughs> it's
2: cut in from somewhere else. He,
3: uh, Richard Arlen Smith had one of the funniest comments I've ever heard on uh, to describe the scene. He said, "He said this looks like a third season episode of Star Trek." <laughs> 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 That ain't funny. Hey, I know. We—that's right. We take that seriously, buddy. But no. But uh, um, but, I, I, but I can see what he's talking about. But one of thing that's interesting is that he knows he's had extensive conversations with people who were very high up and who were very high up in Eurocine, you know, which is what this film was made under. Right, right, right. And he was not able. None of them were able to that, tell him.
2: Eurocine was a, a, yeah. a, a, a Euro, European uh, production company mm. that uh, produced a lot of. Uh, should I say mostly bad? <laughs> just, yeah, <laughs> just a, a lot of uh, exploitation films, crime mm. films, horror films, things like mm. that in mm. the
3: seventies uh, and eighties. Mm. Yeah, and he's he has interviewed those people extensively, and obviously, apparently, talked to some of them about this film when he was preparing his audio commentary. And they all agree that that dance sequence is not from this film, but no one can confirm where it came from, which I think is hilarious. You know that this is like no one knows, <laughs> no one knows where this thing came from. This what film That's this amazing. was listed from? Wow. So okay. For me, in watching the, the film back again, I mean, it, it yeah, it certainly did not improve uh, under further viewing. One thing that did occur to me that I don't know that we said when we first covered the film that I realized is really one of the most major points, parts of major problems with this overall story is the fact that Paul Nash's character, who's named Sarnett, who gets a brain transplant, basically this sadist brain is put in his brain and turns him into a raping, killing madman, but... We never get any sense of him before this, you know. We never get to know his yeah. character. Yeah, we hear the other people in his gang talk about them with this kind of. They all love him. They talk about how several of them at some point have said, like, you know, I owe him this. But we needed a little more than that. I think we needed at least a couple of actual flashbacks to him before.
2: Yeah, it's it's film. We need to be shown, not told. Because yeah. anything that we're told in a film, mm. we can almost disregard yeah. because that yeah. could be that could be false. That could yeah. be someone just saying something. For some other ul- mm-hmm. ulterior motive, and yeah. therefore, if it's shown to us, that's a different matter entirely, and that's one of the tricks of film. If you show it to us, we believe it. If you tell us, we doubt it, and, yeah. and that's it, and, a problem,
3: right? And 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 the problem with it is like it removes any real sense of tragedy what finally happens to him because all we ever know of him in the through this film is when he's either in bed being operated on, you know, or when he comes conscious, he's already starting to lose his mind and starts attacking every woman in sight and all this stuff, you know? And so all we ever really know him in the, of him in the film is this kind of hulking, violent brute. Um, And so there's no tragedy. There's nothing to tie back to that's shown us what this guy was like, you know, before Before, that, you know, that inspired all this loyalty from all these, from these people and his gang. So that's a major, major problem, I think overall. And, uh, the other uh, Smith Smith references it just he in his in his he mentions he says it would have been nice to have seen more of Cernett's character but he doesn't seem to find it like um, as major a problem as I did and but the other thing that I think is here's a, once again watching it the second time through the thing that I think is the most interesting of the film that really that I do think is intentional and they could have done more with but I think that the fact that the two gangs um, I don't know if you remember this we were talking about yeah. the fact that they're exact mirror images of each other it's like yeah. the same number no- each the same number of of, of people in each. Person in the gang has his counterpart in the other gang. I think if that had been played on a little more, uh, it's like Smith points out. We never even really know what the deal is, what these gangs' rackets, what's their competition with each other, other than the fact that apparently the sadist and Sernett shared a girlfriend. You know, shared the same girl at some point. But I do like those. I do think that could have been really an interesting film part of the film if they had played that because I do think it was intentional that they did it that way. But again, it just sort of never really goes anywhere. But I think it's an interesting visual thing to realize. Oh, each person has their exact counterpart in the other gang. Um, but, um, uh, to speak on the uncut stuff, the like you said before, if that adds some spice to any film, you know, especially yeah. a girl film, there's certainly a lot of it. Um, there's certainly a lot of, of nudity and sex. Um, the first time, the first scene we get is the most, maybe the most awkwardly, you know, pun intended, inserted piece of... <laughs> Nudity or sex I've ever seen in any film. It's when they bring cernette's body. You know when they bring him after he's been shot and they get back from the caper, and they bring him into you know their hideaway. uh The other henchman, not Victor Israel, but his his buddy. You know that um suddenly goes upstairs, and there's a girl up there, or she, or he follows this girl up the stairs. You don't see this girl in the version you and I saw. This girl never shows up at all, but she's there. That's at their, right. Yeah, but she's there at their hideaway. And in the uncut version, he just suddenly randomly, you know, they just brought back their leader who's, like, dying from a wound, you know, and he just suddenly follows his girls up the stairs and they just do this totally, like, artless, you know, artless nude, yeah. graping, groping of each yeah. you know. So, so we're off and running with that. Now, I will say that pretty much all the other instances of nudity are... Like do are do fit in the story and and they are kind of where you would expect it. In.
2: They're they're nude versus clothed versions of yeah. scenes that are in the other version of the
3: film. Like right? when Sernett's girlfriend, who used to be the sadist girlfriend, when they lure him to where they're going to kill him, you know, uh, first they're you know she's in the censored version. You know she's making out. They start to make out, and then he gets killed by Victor Israel and the other guy. Right. In this one, you know, they actually do a little. She gets totally naked. They do some up against the wall humping. You know, before he gets shot. Um, a lot of cases, a lot of, a lot of cases of where it was like a complied rape or it's actual rape, um, like, uh, when they take, when they've taken Sernet's girlfriend, and they have her. Remember, they're putting out the cigarettes on her, on her, like body, where they're torturing her. Yeah. Then they, when in the uncut version, they act, totally undress her, and the other, the woman fondles her for a while first, you know, and has a, a lesbian scene with her, and then the other henchman, one of the henchmen, comes in and rapes her, you know. So, man, you're really selling this deep, this this Blu-ray to me. I gotta tell you. And, well, I tell you, like I said, I mean, if 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 it makes films more interesting to people, well, that much, you know, it because it does.
2: Of, I hate. To, I, well, I, and it, I remember it, feeling you, bad saying this because you want to see everything we,
3: that was filmed for a movie. You well, want to see everything. But, that, see, that,
2: that's, that, no, no, yes, that's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. If nothing what, else,
3: just to adjust, just to assess, like, does it improve a film or not? You know, so.
2: and that's just it. It, it. it may sound crude, it may sound, um, it, it may sound mean spirited or nasty, or it just may sound like mm-hmm. uh, I'm an unrepentant teenage boy in a forty-some mm-hmm. odd mm-hmm. year old man's mm-hmm. body. But mm-hmm. quite honestly, <laughs> when you insert those kinds of, when you build that kind of thing into your storyline. Mm-hmm. It does mm. add interest in that sometimes mm. it's merely the shock of that being in the film.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it, it is the, uh, the, the the allure of mm. something that you don't see every day. You yeah. don't see a gorgeous mm. model's nude body right. every day. And right. it's putting those elements in a film is exploitive. It's mm. there to put mm. butts on seats to mm. sell tickets. Mm. That's why they're in the film. But they also, if judiciously used, if placed mm. in the right spots mm. in the movie, they mm. they draw your interest in a I'll admit, purient fashion, but at the same <laughs> yeah. time anything yeah. that yeah. anything that adds mm. a level of, of uh, draw to your your film, if if used properly, yeah. can enhance and Make the film not only better, but also make the film more interesting from mm. several different points of view. I'm not advocating that every film have nudity.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm just saying that if you're going to cross that line, if that's what you're going to do, mm. it does add yep. interest. Yeah, and it does automatically add something to a film yeah. that not every film has. Right, and it, and therefore you know there's a re- there's a reason you. <laughs> Well, the, the, the cheapest special effects in the world mm-hmm. are actors in one form or another. Yeah, yeah, Because once you hire them, if they're willing to get their clothes off, mm-hmm. guess mm-hmm. what? That's a nice bonus.
3: Yeah, well, and again, it's really only that first scene I mentioned that it's just totally nonsensical, you know, where you're just right. like, "Road, you're like, what the hell? way well, you could obviously just hear the producer saying, okay, listen, it's 10 minutes in the film. You know, we need something right here. You know, every other instance is something that does is does work with the plot. I mean, um, when Nashie... When Paul Nashi, when Surnett is really going all out crazy and he's he gets loose in the woods, you remember the the little the girl that was right the bicycle newspaper girl who was like yeah. claiming to be a playmate of the 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 family's like daughter, but she's obviously like twenty years older than the other family's yes, daughter. Well, Nashi, in this case, you remember he chased her in the film we saw. In this case, he actually catches her. and he attacks and, and, her. And right her. Right yeah. Now. Um, now I do have a disappointment for you, and the scene where he grabs Sylvia Solar and and you know oh, and, and attacks lab? her on the lab right there. Yeah. Now it's there is that. Does go to nudity, but I'm almost positive it's not Sylvia Solar's body there. That no, it definitely there.
2: isn't. And I remember us talking about that when we covered Crimson in mm. uh, back in episode five. By the way, people, if you want to hear us yeah. talk about Crimson at length, uh, I do remember saying at the time that obviously the the nude shots that are mm. supposed to be Sylvia, Sylvia Solar's character are obvious inserts with a body doubles.
3: Yeah, well, and they're and they're so badly done in the extended where it's even more nudity in that scene where it's like it's even because you know she's wearing a dress and that's. You know, when he first starts to attack her, and then, like, in the scenes, it's obvious both the bodies there are totally nude, and then it cuts to her, and she's got the dress like sort of half, you know, I mean, it's just, so it's not even any kind of, It's very poorly done. It is, but... But, um, anyway, so, so really, yeah, I mean, the film, like I said, it's, we've seen worse films since... Now, that one hit us hard, because it was our first disappointment. It was our... Well, no, I don't know how that our... I mean, it was the first film we had a negative reaction to, I think, uh, because it was the fifth film, in. we've seen a lot worse since then, but... You know, watching it back, I you know, it's 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 I'm, I'm, I definitely am over the film now that I've had to watch it twice more for to be able to talk about here. I think I don't picture myself probably ever watching it again. Uh, uh, but, you know, hey, uh, at least I mean, again, if, if you do like the film, I can't recommend the uh, Blu-ray highly enough because they definitely did it. probably like I said again probably as good a job as anybody's going to do on it so if you do enjoy the film then then by all means uh, get it support it because it will get maybe more nashy stuff released so
2: well I definitely do want to hear the commentary track so that's mm. that's definitely it
3: is very and it is full of pack too I mean it is jam packed with, with information uh, so yeah definitely I mean Richard Richard always does a great job so
2: okay well uh, let's uh, let's take a quick little break and when okay. we come back we will talk about uh, the other Blu-ray yeah. release Count Dracula's
4: Great Love. All right. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but... There are so many. I wish there's a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. Huh, that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, we will do. Let's see, that's at OrphanEntertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm Mm-hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see.
5: Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, uh, necrophilia. Ah, uh, yep. uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? <laughs> no one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in him. It. it takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could it's get out of it. It's
1: unimaginable.
5: At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept little popping up. Little history all popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film.
3: Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old.
5: Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was going to be, be a rough How did you
1: watch this shit at 12?
5: Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema psyops.
1: Leave our daughter alone. Leave her alone, do you hear? An incredible story. He's a beastly sadist. A devil that follows man wherever he goes. The vampire is only a legend of this place. A legend that's converted into chilling realism. It's not important that Dracula's carnal body is destroyed. Wherever blood flows, Dracula is ever-present to punish horror with horror. We weren't able to destroy dracula in burgo we'll Pass. and his terrible power i'm scared marlene you'll be quiet he'll hear you you once belonged to dracula and now you've returned to his side the ceremony which signifies the rebirth of his origin a love story of good and evil of life and death Behind each kiss hides a horror of terrifying realism a thousand times worse than death itself. No living woman is capable of resisting the diabolical influence of Dracula. Those women that have known his terrible embrace are forced to share his destiny. Count Dracula's great love. with Paul Nashie, Rosanna Yanni, Edie Politov, Myrta Miller, Vic Winner, and the special appearance of Ingrid Garbo. A satanical ritual that marks the rebirth of Dracula. The prince of evil will not acquire his full power until a virgin falls in love with the vampire. The most terrifying love story from beyond the tomb, in which terror is combined with romance, violence and tenderness, love and blood. Constant action that suspends you with fright, Something that will make oh. you feel the pleasure of fear. You won't be able to breathe after a terrifying scene, because the next is more horrifying than the one before.
2: We lucky Nashy fans have been gifted by Vinegar Syndrome with a Blu-ray of one of the more notable non-werewolf films, Paul Nashi ever made, mm-hmm. and of course we're talking about Count Dracula's great love. Now we, of course, covered this back mm-hmm. in uh, episode.
3: I don't remember, <laughs> but it was fairly early Eight? on, I think. Yeah, it was. Was I it? Think, the first I, think, I think it was in the first ten. Oh, I, I can't
2: remember. At any rate, Count Dracula's great love is uh, certainly a very notable Paul Nashe film. It's certainly a hit here in the states. Mm-hmm. In one form or another, it's been on DVD over here. Because it was released as one of the uh, the many uh, Elvira mm-hmm. DVD releases mm-hmm. a long while back. But of course that's far from being the most uh, auspicious way <laughs> to have mm-hmm. a Paul Nasci film mm-hmm. released to video. And I will say that I am very, 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 very pleased with this oh, Blu-ray
3: wow, yeah. from
2: Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah.
3: It was also released member as a double feature as Cemetery Girls and I think Vampire Hookers. Yeah, and the Cemetery yeah. and that is actually a fairly that's actually probably been the best DVD release so far that we've seen of the film was the print they used for Cemetery Girls I agree. I agree. Nine, so. But I hate that title. Well, so. of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a terrible <laughs> title, but Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
2: So uh, when uh, Vinegar Syndrome announced that they were going to be releasing this film, everyone was excited. And uh, when we started to hear about the fact that they were actually uh, spending a little money and a little time to not only restore mm-hmm. the film, but to mm-hmm. also add some extras to the Blu-ray, mm-hmm. we were extremely happy. And uh, I will say, okay, let's let's start with the, the first things first. Mm-hmm. The movie looks fantastic oh, on this Blu-ray. It does. It it, does. Uh, uh, I was beyond pleased with how... Mm-hmm. Um, sharp and clean and colorful uh, all the flaws that I see in the movie I mean and there there, there are a very few pump uh, p- points in the movie where I could see some some minor print wear or print mm-hmm. damage but yeah. it's incredibly fleeting
3: yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, all the the problems that I would have with the visual presentation of the film on this blu-ray are all things that are just built into the way the film was shot yeah
3: yeah there's
2: a I'll never forget actually reaching for the remote and backing the film up when I yeah. was watching this a few days ago because there's a scene where uh, uh, Vic Winter and um,
3: Oh Ingrid uh, uh, Garbo or? are
2: talking to each other.
3: Yeah.
2: Out in the out oh, in yeah. out of the woods and for and, and for some reason they go slightly out of focus. And the focus—it's—it's it's almost as if the—and cam- it, it seems the cameraman, for whatever reason, racked the focus to this bush
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or this
2: limb of a bush mm-hmm. that's kind of in the foreground, in front of them. Yeah. And so that's in sharp focus and they're kind of fuzzy behind it. And it, was, and it wasn't so just a moment ago as they walked toward mm. the camera. And it's just one of those little irritating things where it's just like, oh, they, they should have done that one again. I really don't think, considering that they continued to talk, yeah. that the idea was to have them in soft focus. <laughs> so that's what I mean is that um, mm. I don't know that I mm. necessarily noticed that the last time mm. I watched this sure, movie yeah. on mm. one of these Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. But on this blue it is amazing to take note of some of the detail work mm. in this movie, some of which enhances uh, your appreciation, or at least my appreciation, of the story and the and, and the film. And some of it makes you go, oh, "Ah, yeah, well, we're watching it." You know, we're mm. watching a you know a not gigantic budget you know uh, horror production from the mid 70s. Yeah, right, so right, yeah. you know, all right, all right.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, the film is something we we can discuss. Uh, well, let's discuss the film in a moment. Let's talk about the extras. First of all, there's a brief interview with uh, Myrna Miller, one of the uh, yeah, one, one of my the favorites, four, and that's yeah. great. That she's yeah one of the four gorgeous ladies in, uh, uh, in the film, and. Uh, uh, that was interesting. We should note that the the interview with her was conducted by our our mistress Elena. Yeah,
3: that's She right. of uh,
2: she of horror rises from Spain. Yeah, and we uh, yeah. we're very pleased. I was I was surprised that we did actually hear her voice at one point near the very end of that we interview, did. which we was did. a bit of a
3: surprise. We I was did. very happy we, to have. We're allowed happen. to go We know her. She's our friend. We know her. She's a star. Now she's a star. Now she's a star. Yeah. We knew
2: <laughs> we knew her back when she was. Merely a Nashi fan. <laughs> now, starbound. But <laughs> the, that is that is a great extra.
3: Yeah, it is.
2: One of the other extras on the film. Well, I mean, l- l- let's say let's say that. Uh, well, I mean, what, what, what's your favorite extra on the film? I mean, that's think
3: this probably, probably my favorite is is the we have to be the Myrta Miller because she is one of my favorite okay. of the Nashie ladies. You know, she's 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 right up there with with uh, some of her favorites that have been in his films. I always love Myrta Miller, and I think it's just great anytime they can catch any of these people that will talk about will talk about the films. Uh, that's probably my favorite. I mean, obviously the you know the temptation is to say the audio commentary track simply because who, you know, we'd kind of forgotten that, or didn't know that it was out there, and, and and when you've got people who have passed on now, especially that you're, you know, you suddenly got an audio commentary Paul Nashie where you didn't know that anything like that was still out there that you hadn't heard, it's wonderful to hear his voice. It's a treasure to, you know, it's priceless really to be able to to hear his voice again. I can't say that the audio commentary track in general is just some great, enlightening, you know, discussion, but they're having yeah. a great time. You know, they're having fun. It's just fun to hear them have a good time watching it, but, as with most of these cases, your brain is screaming all these questions that you wanted, you wish <laughs> that you could ask them and that you're yep. hoping they will address, and they really kind of don't, but that's to be expected because they're not looking at it the same way you are. You know, they're not going into it with the fan's mind of like, you know, why did you do this here? Why did you do this here? What does this mean? That kind of thing. You know, they're really kind of more just in, you know, having fun, being, I think, being together again, talking about, you know, just, just some of the things. Yeah, yeah the reminisce. They talk about a few on set. They do throw in a few interesting tidbits, and it's always interesting to, to hear Nashy talk about his kind of visions of the character how of, of the fact of the movie being very much a romance to him that the whole romantic aspect of it was so important to him and so that's great to have, but I, I think that um, I think in general, it, it uh, I think I, I have to say that the seeing Mertle Miller on film and just being that somebody found you know that Elena found her and talked to her and all that I think is great. So that's probably my own personal favorite of the well, I,
2: I will default to the commentary track mm-hmm. for, for for the reasons that you just gave. Yeah, mainly because I think it it, it is always fascinating to be able to get a, a little window inside the thought process mm-hmm. of Nashi as mm-hmm. a, as an older man looking back at his younger work yeah, sure. and kind of um, and and. And you're it really just you know having fun discussing mm-hmm. this piece mm-hmm. of work that these two men made together so long ago. Yeah. And and that is a blast. And you're right. There are so many questions I want to ask. Yeah. I mean, I still have mm-hmm. so many problems trying to figure out exactly how this film, <laughs> yeah. it, how we're supposed to look at this film. And right, I still, to right. this day, am convinced mm-hmm. that all that voiceover stuff in the latter half of the film mm-hmm. is... Them trying to shore up a storyline that they've decided to abandon. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of fascinated mm. by it, and I really kind of want—I I want my chance to travel back in time and corner <sighs> Paul Nashe well, and go, "Look,
3: I know, I know. look, man, and you want I, them? Uh, here's, no. a,
2: here's what I think uh-huh. you wrote originally and mm. then changed. Yeah, tell me if I'm right.
3: Yeah, <laughs> because there's just too
2: many things in the movie that don't add up, and mm. all that voiceover smells like somebody deciding okay we've got to change the way this footage is presented and we've got to change the way we've we've structured this story and we've got to alter the relationships somehow and this is the only way we can do it and um so i i guess by that statement it's not it's not too hard to imagine or not too hard to figure out that i have some problems with the narrative structure of count dracula's great love because i think that quite honestly it's it's narratively it's as messy as I can imagine, a really mm-hmm. fun, interesting film that I enjoy. i was about to say, being. yeah,
3: it's about yeah. as, yeah, it's about as messy as, as. I mean, I love this film, but yeah, for a film that I just really thoroughly enjoy, always enjoy watching, and and will continue to watch as I go on through life. Every now and then, it's a film I'll return yeah. to. Yeah, very few films can I say that for and and it have that bad, that much problems with the story, you know, but that's just, you know.
2: And and there there are multiple problems. I'm not going to go into them here. If you've not yeah, seen yeah, if you've not yeah. seen Count Dracula's Great Love and you have any interest whatsoever, I'm not going to spoil the film for you, but there are uh some severe questions I have. Please mm-hmm. go watch the film and then uh, go back and pull down uh, our episode on on the film. Where I think we go into depth with my frustrations with some of the... Well, and your frustrations as well with some of the narrative oh, yeah. the narrative, well, the narrative well, leaps and strange I mean, strange things that happen within I,
3: the story. Yeah, I still contend that they... I think that they should have just knocked that... I mean, that narration just shouldn't even be there. I mean, I think by the time you've got that point in the film, it's gone so far... You know,
2: <laughs> into Crazy Town. Well,
3: you know, I, I, I I'm not. I wrote uh, a little while back. I kind of wrote a, a reassessment of the film because it's the first Dracula's Great Love. I actually watched a few months ago, and it was really the first time I would watched a Nashi film <clears throat> without any podcast related purpose. You know, I mean, since we started it, you know, okay. because we've watched so many Nashi films and we're always kind of watching that next one and working towards the next podcast. And then we showed, you know, we hosted several Nashi nights at the Black Raven, right? But as far as just pulling a Nashi film off the shelf for my own pure enjoyment, just on a whim, you know, without any like, oh, I've got to do this because I've got to prepare for this we're doing or this we're doing, you know, Count Dracula's Great Love was the first time I'd done that really since we had started the podcast. So just kind of glad I let the movie just absorb me again, and I, I wrote kind of a, a an assessment of it that I posted on our Nashicast page. And but one of the things that I. Um, you know, had, uh, had 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 said in there is that you know I think that the film, if they had just knocked out that, forgot about all that voiceover and just you know, it, I think it would have because the film is so visually stunning and beautiful. I think it would have been almost like this closest thing to a genre Rolland film that Paul Nashie would have ever done. I think it could yes. to capturing that kind of feel of where okay, this is just visual poetry. There's not any real stop trying to hang on to something story wise here that you can you know that's going to make it all make sense. I think that, I think they needed to totally eliminate the Dracula's daughter subplot. Now, I realize yes. the reason. I realize that, even though you know, actually, that's another thing he doesn't really address directly in the audio commentary, although he does at one point say that there was talk about a sequel, but he never says, he never directly says, But and it was going to focus on his daughter there, but I think that subplot should have totally been gone, you know, the Dracula's daughter the resurrection thing should have been gone, and I also think if they just had condensed if they had just made that whole last third of the film not take so many days and nights but it maybe condensed it into maybe a couple of nights instead of making it happen over like five or six where it's just like oh now yeah. it's not again now it's day again now it's night again you know And it's oh, just, I understand yeah I agree and I'm saying this more from just again among, personally I, I look past that stuff and I love the movie but when we showed this at, I, I do feel like it's the movie that people that connected the least overall with the audience when we showed it at Black Raven Emporium you know I, the impression I got that was the of all the films we showed Even though we tried to, from the first, when we were setting up the film and explaining to people, we did kind of the very first say, like, this film's strengths are visual, you know, you just have to kind of go with it, you know, the plot gets kind of convoluted. We tried to prepare them for that. I still sensed a lot of of kind of restlessness from people that it just didn't quite get them the way, I think it was probably, it's not that it was hated by any reason. I mean, I think that they still, I can tell they still enjoyed a lot of aspects of it. I mean, they loved, you know, I still remember the great moments when the female vampires like suddenly take that leap up onto the roof of the house. I remember the whole audience just suddenly gasping like you know and I even heard, oh, one, I know, even heard rush, one person yeah. saying like man didn't see that coming you know I mean it's just it's one of those things just out of nowhere. Uh, there's some of those visual things like where he drains her blood by stabbing the knife through her neck. That's really just an incredible yeah. scene. I, the people did respond to that but again those are things I was visual but when it was getting through that whole where that story just kept getting more and more you know just creeping along as far as you know going from day to night to day to night and just you know it's going I could, I could definitely sense some sense some shuffling some restlessness in yeah. people and, it, it, and talking it, it, to it, people it. after the screenings you know there was yeah. kind of the people were just like you know, and then they came back the next night and saw Hunchback in the morgue and totally won them. Some of the people came oh, back, yeah. and I told because I told them I said, "Come back tomorrow and see Hunchback in the morgue." And several of them did, and they were like, "Yeah, you're right. That's a much better film." You know? Oh, well, but,
2: Hunchback is a much better film. Yeah,
3: but anyway, but that's that's I, you know, I, I for me personally, I can look past all that stuff because I do personally love the film. But I just think that it's 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 one that did seem like uh uh you know you just almost have to 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 really be ready to let go of plot cohesion.
2: <laughs> yes, you know. Well, that's the thing, and I'm I'm. I won't. I won't go into depth in this, but I'm still utterly and completely convinced Mm. that the original version of that film, uh, the original version of the script, Mm. had that uh, that female vampire that
3: Mm.
2: is quote unquote you know that the the is quote unquote almost resurrected in the film. Yeah, I'm utterly and completely convinced that that is Count Dracula's great love, and they rewrote it to be his daughter. After mm-hmm. the fact, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of all the production problems they had when those ac- mm. when the accident,
3: had come uh, yeah, you, that makes sense. Man, you could totally be right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't That's doubt it.
2: that is what it seems to me to be the mm-hmm. most logical and obvious yeah. thing. It fits within it fits within the the usual romantic plotting mm-hmm. that uh, Nashi would do in one of these films. Mm-hmm. It fits well. It fits within the structure of what he's doing mm-hmm. as a character in the first half of the film, mm-hmm. where it's almost as if he needs some woman to specifically use her blood someone who al- that has fallen in love with him to allow him to use her to resurrect his true love yeah. and, it, and it just seems to me that that's uh um, that is probably the way it was originally written mm-hmm. and the the clumsy way in which that female vampire character exits the storyline <laughs> yeah. is just i'll leave it at that folks but yeah, right right needless to say mm-hmm. This is the best presentation I've ever seen of this movie. Oh, no question. And I'll, I'm hard-pressed to imagine a better presentation unless somebody wants to take on the task oh, man, of just finding more extras or creating more yeah, extras something or something like that. Yeah, like that.
3: I mean, God, you're right. I mean, this, yeah, I can't imagine, can't imagine looking any better. And this film is just is, is beautiful. And, uh, uh, another thing I'd written when, when I'd reassessed it was that uh, I, I was because uh, I don't know how much I mentioned it, I may have mentioned it in our original podcast, but just how impressed I am with the chemistry between the four actresses, you know. Yes. To, to basically be, you know, here we are to be have our blood drained and be vamps and all that, and one of us is going to be the heroine and the rest of us are going to be vamps. But the fact that you don't know, the fact that their chemistry is so good together, it it's a long time before you can start to pick out who's going to be that person. Who's going to be the last girl, as they call it, or who's going to be really the final, girl, be the yeah. final girl. Who's going to be, who's going to be, because uh, they all are very seem to be very three-dimensional characters and they all get equal time and their interplay with each other their interaction with each other really makes you believe that these could all be for college students which is what they're supposed to be like they all knew each other from school so
2: I will uh, say that I still have the same problem. There's only one minor problem I have with any of the four female. Uh, oh, with uh,
3: Merthin. you talking about with Miller oh, no, no, being no, no, so no, annoying no, as the no, Freddy no. cat?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she she is an annoying mm. character, but that's that that's mm. not the irritating thing or the the odd thing. I should say is not irritating. Right, right. It's that I still feel that uh, Rosanna Yanni mm. is too modern looking mm. because this is a period mm. piece and mm. it's it's mm. a it's a film set in the mm. uh, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm. And Rosanna Yanni, uh, just her look. Mm-hmm. There's something about her that screams, you know, late 20th century to me, instead mm, of uh, yeah, period. Yeah, and that is that may just be something that I'm bringing to the film that I can't get rid of.
3: Well, and it's also but, interesting though that that's just because she's her character is the one who's by far the most uh, uninhibited. You know, yes, she's the one yes. who's the most modern as far as sexuality goes. You know, of the right. of the four, and I and that brings up something. I, I nothing I would have loved to ask either director or the cinematographer or whatever is, is because I, I think it's interesting that even though Rosanna Yanni is the last of the girls to be turned vamp. into a vamp, once she becomes a vamp, she very much becomes the focal point and the leader of the other two. And I think it's because she's well, so we, tall. Well, we've said this before. It's like yeah. I'd love to ask them, like, is it because inherently in her character that would be in her character to become the, the leader or kind of the dominant one of the other three or is it because sheer color scheme, uh, the fact that because of the color nightgowns they're wearing, you know, yeah. is that because, but or like you said, because she's tallest, it was it? Was it all purely just? A, was
2: it a visual reference? Yeah, just yeah. because of the heights of the yeah. actresses, yeah. did it have? Was there a specific reference to mm. the the colors of the of the mm. clothing that they wear yeah. or anything mm. like? Yeah, yeah. I would love those are all questions no, that you, you want we'll to never know. To like, we'll <laughs> never know because we're never going to be able to ask those questions. But yeah. it's it, it, it those are the kind of things that I like. I would love to have the chance mm. to dig into, sure. and it's exactly the kind of thing. That I would love to to get into in like mm-hmm. a really in depth mm-hmm. examination of the film mm-hmm. and going through it, but
3: and and I still accept I still don't really have a problem, um, or on this next time watching it more and more, I more and more I'm always just able to to not have a problem with Nashie's being physically what you would think would be wrong for Dracula, and I actually think he makes it. Yeah, a, I don't think I I don't I don't, I don't have a problem. I don't really, with that. I didn't. Yeah. Really, I thought I would, you know, or or you would think you would. Based on when you think about, it you think of of, of kind of Nashy's look and his physique and Dracula. What you come and think of it, but one thing I do love on that audio commentary is the fact that Nashy himself points out, you know, hey, you know, you do realize that the original Dracula wore armor, was like a, a knight basically, you know, in war, like yeah. you know, I mean, and it was probably actually stockier and and more physically. Powerful and and, and 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 as opposed to being a you know six foot six. Well, yeah, rail, as, as opposed to like, yeah, uh, you know as
2: opposed to being Christopher Lee or John exactly, Faraday you know, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I think Nashi, I think Nashi looks great as Dracula. I really do. I think he's. I, th- he's I think just he's funny. fine.
2: And I, I'll be honest. I think that he, uh, I think he is at his most handsome looking in this film. Yeah. yeah. I think mm-hmm. he is a very attractive looking man in this mm-hmm. movie. It's really kind of impressive to see him in this. And this Blu-ray really brings out the fact that. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. he was a good-looking dude. Yeah, I mean, he, he really was. had yeah, a man. handsome face.
3: He was, he was. He was. it's you know, it's, like-
2: it's rather striking to to have that in you know mm-hmm. high definition mm-hmm. for the first time, and to realize mm-hmm. I I don't know it, it, that that's a that's a, a subject for another a complete other discussion. But it's like what film did Nashi? look the best in I mean <laughs> yeah, just really that.
3: look the best in but he yeah, really
2: good. looks good yeah. in yeah. this movie
3: yeah now you know I'm partial to I love, I love the old facial hair thing I think when he gets the whole mustache and beard going when he rocks the, <laughs> rocks the whole mustache yeah, and, and beard and, and, thing and I think he's pretty awesome looking with the mustache in this, and beard this, in man. this
2: he's completely clean shaven yeah, but yeah. I still think I he this one's in the running man I think yeah. he's looking great in this so. <laughs>
3: yeah. yep
2: alright well uh, that's uh, our heavy recommend for the yes, yes, Blu-ray. yes yes
3: if you're a Nashie fan and you don't don't, uh, don't own this then I just I don't know what I can say for you. Yeah, I just
2: you know r- r- rush out and get it. You can get yeah. it for a decent price. It's well worth your mm-hmm. it's well worth your your time and your money. Uh, if you're a Nashi fan, if you have any curiosity mm-hmm. about the film at mm-hmm. all, dive in. You're not going to find a better way to see this movie. Mm-hmm. So, all right, we're going to take a, a little break here again, and we will come back, and we're going to do a discussion of uh, well, a little uh, mental revisit mm-hmm. of one of our favorite Nashi films. So, we'll be right back.
0: I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors.
4: Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, the Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game.
0: My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster-versus-monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories
4: sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com
0: for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please, come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. If the talisman Thor is placed on the forehead of the evil reincarnated spirit, that spirit will be definitely destroyed. During the day, these evil spirits have no power. When the reincarnated spirit is feminine, these amulets serve no purpose. They can only be destroyed if a young woman with a pure soul is capable in the attempt of piercing its heart with a silver needle.
5: A silver needle?
0: We've got to find something to serve our purpose. But first we've got to get rid of the cadavers in the swamp. Then we'll look for this needle
2: arises from the tomb 1972 honestly one of my favorite paul nashie films and i
3: assume one of yours as well i have to say it, it's i think it i think it is my favorite um even after so many discovering so many films paul nashie films and so many gems you know over the over all these this past few years of doing the podcast um you know i, I think it's always going to be my personal favorite film you know it's it's i really do it's it's uh I mean, probably his maybe his greatest overall accomplishment as an artist might have been, would you know, El Caminante. But I just think that you know, as an overall visionary, whatever you know, artist uh, in working in film. But uh, but I just I I just think this film is fantastic. I mean, I think honestly, I would I would after watching this film again, revisiting to this podcast here again, I I think that to me it's it, it would be my entry into like for if somebody asked me if somebody was wanting to get into. Euro horror, right? And said, "Hey, give me one film from each country." You know, I mean, this would be my Spanish entry, man. I mean, this would probably be the one that I would and and I do consider Ooh, it overall. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I know, a lot of people believe me. There's others you could throw out that would be that yeah. would be. Uh, you can make a case for a lot of other great ones out there. You know, Tombs of the Blind Dead*. You know, *Doctor exactly. Orloff*. You know, that's,
2: yeah, that's where I was. You to can go, make man.
3: strong cases, but to me, this is this to me is is a. Uh, is is a uh, is is the one that I would give them for the you know as 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 the 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 Spanish you know the Spanish, the, the Spanish, one Spanish get entry in that particular yeah yeah.
2: I um, I understand exactly what you mm-hmm. mean it, it is a film that I have pointed to on multiple occasions for people to say to them if you have mm-hmm. never seen one and you're mm-hmm. curious. Mm-hmm. Um, start with this one mm-hmm. because I think that it's uh, it's got so many mm-hmm. different elements, mm-hmm. uh, and it comes at them in such an intriguing way, and in such in a, in a way that mm-hmm. you've not really ever seen in some other
4: yeah.
3: horror mm-hmm.
2: films. This is the, the 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 various elements in this movie blend together in a very
3: strange way. But they do. But but your word is right. They do manage to blend, and that's yeah. the thing that cra- that's crazy to me is like they don't feel like just. Like like Crimson did you know, throwing things like you know throwing things yeah. against the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean it should feel that way, but it doesn't you know it's man- it's amazing how it all manages to it's a crazy story and it's crazy it's a hallucinogenic nightmarish film but but all the elements still seem like they belong there, and that's the crazy thing to me you know know how this how did this work this this yeah. script that was script that was written under the influence of you know <laughs> in like forty eight or twenty four hours or however long it took him to do it how did this all end up working so well is the crazy thing. That, so. um, lightning in a bottle, man. Yeah, no, I bottle. think you're right. I think that's exactly right.
2: Um, well, listen, uh, as as someone who, uh, as I just admitted, I've used this film as kind of a, a specific entry point for people who are interested in Paul Nashie, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. recently got the opportunity to do that. Uh, our mm-hmm. buddy and fellow podcaster, Christopher Page. Christopher Page. Um, he of, uh, let's see, uh, Time Shifters Podcast mm-hmm. and Orphaned Entertainment. We shipped him a copy of this film because mm-hmm. you Lord knows it's difficult to get your hands on uh, this movie yeah, these days. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, big hint there, mm-hmm.
3: Blu-ray yeah, Oh, my people. God, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, yes, Blu-ray folks. Um, those companies like mm, Redemption or Vinegar, Vinegar Syndrome or, or anybody about, else.
3: Uh, oh, God, how about... Uh, Arrow? How, I was going to mm-hmm. say Arrow. My God, what an Arrow would... Imagine what Arrow would do with this anybody, thing. Anybody, anybody at all. Horror Rises from the Tomb. Not Olive, not Olive Films. Uh, no, because
2: then we are guaranteed no freaking extra. Because they don't no give you, pay
3: out the ass for it and you will get nothing in return. Right? <laughs> you Except nothing. you'll get a good looking film, but nothing else. Though.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's for sure. Let's, let's stop complaining about Oliver. Yes, I'm yes, going yes, to get yes. violent. But no, <laughs> what, uh, what, what we would like to see one day is a Blu-ray release of every single Paul Nash, I'm sorry, wait a minute, let me. Let me calm um, down back up.
3: Yeah, uh, careful what you say, because remember, I'm going to hold you to. Uh, you're going to have to cover it. If Impusa <laughs> comes out on Blu-ray, you get, you get, you get, you, do you really want that to um, oh, happen? Oh, God, Troy, do not
2: say such things. I I shrivel I shrivel under the thought.
3: So,
2: people, please, if we could get someone out there to, to do a Blu-ray of Horror Rises from the mm-hmm, Tomb, mm-hmm. one of my many, many, many millions of wishes would come true. Mm-hmm, yeah. One of them, anyway. Yes. So... Mm-hmm. This is a film that uh, I was very happy to be able to present to uh, Christopher, to have him uh, take a look at this, because he was he was nashy curious.
3: And (laughs) so so
2: I wanted to see what his reaction to the film would be. And he was he was nice enough to uh, uh, record us a nice little voicemail and let us know his thoughts after having finally seen Horror Rises from the Tomb. Mm -hmm. So here's Christopher.
3: All
4: right. Hey, Rod and Troy. Thanks for letting me put in my few thoughts on Horror Rises from the Tomb. I know this is a revisit for both of you, but it was a first-time watch for me. Well, sort of. My first-time watch actually stretched into about four attempts at finishing. I typically have to wait till fairly late in the evening before I can start one of my movies. And honestly, I kept falling asleep. This isn't exactly paced at a breakneck speed, and it failed to excite me enough to keep my eyes open. I was finally able to start at a more reasonable hour, and not only watch the film from start to finish, but watch the, watch the alternative scenes that were available on the DVD. Well, more on those later. Now, don't take me falling asleep as me not liking the movie. It was a fun watch. I just wish every action and subsequent death wasn't followed by everyone gathering around the fireplace to have a drink. Now, this is the Nashie cast, and this is a Paul Nashie film, so I do want to talk about him and his dual roles. First off, Not sure why he did the dual role, as there was nothing in the story that really required him to do so. Oh, there was something about his family and the land, etc., but that could have been handled with a sentence or two, and then the parts played by different actors. My guess is he wanted to make sure he got up close and personal with as many of the female cast as possible. All that aside, he was the definition of cool in both roles. Whether resurrecting his dead wife or sipping whiskey in the library, he was cool, collected, and in charge. And damn straight it was going to take two shotgun blasts to take him down. Now, I mentioned the female cast. Well, who can blame Mr. Nashie for wanting to snuggle up close to these incredible women? One is, of course, the beautiful Helga Lene. I mean, what can I say that hasn't been said? If any woman can properly share a screen with Nashie, it's Linnae. Another standout is Christina Suriani. as Paula, the beautiful girlfriend of undeserving Maurice. And, uh, did he and Paula have sex while Hugo and Sylvia just hung out in the other room? Anyway, I liked her. She reminded me of a girl I went to school with. She had that same tall body with a naturally blank stare. All the women were fantastic, and all were so 70s. Their hair. Their faces. Their hair. But the true star for me, the standout that stayed with me even when I dozed off all those times, Emma Cohen. There is something special about that woman. Her sad but sparkling eyes, her her good sense to wear pants before hunting evil. Uh, I need more Emma in my life. Oh, I wanted to talk about the alternate scenes. These were scenes nearly identical to the scenes that were in the film, but with the nudity either excised by editing or reshot entirely with with more wardrobe. I have to admit that this would have felt more like a horror movie with these scenes in place. When every death is preceded by a stripping murderer or victim... It becomes less about the terror and more about the titillation in the skin. Just an observation. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that, though. Well, thanks for getting me to finally watch the movie. Slow as it may be, it is a fun watch and one I'll watch again. Whether I make it all the way through or not? Well, we'll see.
3: So... I have sent a hit team to Christopher's home. Yes, and he will be assassinated. No. Uh- <laughs> yes, I was going to say if we read between the lines, I think we could maybe color him underwhelmed. Would you say? Well,
2: that? he did seem to enjoy the film, but I think that he has the problem with the, the film that I think that unfortunately a lot of modern viewers will have, which is there's a there's a very different type of pacing that I think modern audiences are used to in a film. And what you and I may thoroughly enjoy as a mm-hmm. building atmosphere mm-hmm. is something that I think that a lot of people don't have the patience for necessarily. Once the film mm-hmm. gets to a certain point, they may enjoy the movie enough to overlook the fact that they were quote-unquote bored mm-hmm. uh, during you know the first act or the first half of a film. Yeah but the, uh, the his reaction to it and having tr- having trouble well he admits to having trouble staying awake because he was he was much sure he was trying to watch, trying to watch, it, watch it late at night right sure but to, to even still have that reaction when mm. sitting down and watching it from beginning to end all in one shot just I, I think it's just that there are certain um, I won't say requirements but there are certain um, ex- expectations I should say for for um, modern audiences for a film that if it doesn't you know in other words if it doesn't like reach out and and smack you around the head and face Mm -hmm, area mm -hmm. you know in one way or another uh it's just it's not going to it's not going to be something that you feel attracted to immediately
3: well and and one thing i thought about was because i'm i'm you know really just getting as we both are you know we've been delighted to to meet christopher and and get to know him but we you know we're still just getting to know him and so i actually kind of was trying to I, i was not really sure what his level of uh familiarity with Euro horror is at this point because one of the things after hearing is his the thing he said in his comments on it I wanted to ask him what was his ex- idea of a Euro horror film that is fast that that clips along at the pace that he would prefer it to in other words like that's a, yeah. not not a Euro crime thriller but an actual horror film that's a Euro horror film I'd like to know if he has an example of like well here's a film here's a Euro horror film that I really thought was like exciting and really like I liked its pace because you know I'm having trouble thinking of one that that really, you know, would 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 top uh, horror rises for uh, how much kind of mayhem there is that happens periodically well, through the film. I guess, I'll, say I, that, I'll tell you, what, I, I did, will say that yeah, I think
2: yeah. that you and I think about. Uh, well, first of all, I can I can, and, I can and like you said, see. it depends
3: on what you find interesting. It depends on what right. what you consider right. what captures your attention right. because what captures your attention isn't always necessarily something that's action or moving fast or something like that. Is now it's what captures our attention that we think is engrossing enough that keeps us into the film might not be what he he might right, not right, find right. an element that's interesting and so.
2: I can see Christopher's point of view up to a point because once you get past the you know the uh, the decapitation at the beginning of the right, film right. The, the hanging of Lena Lena uh, I mean, Lena <laughs> the hanging of Helga Lene's character at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. the movie then settles into the modern day aka the early 1970s and tells right. and tells its story giving mm-hmm. you know showing you these characters and, and lining up the relationships before we get to the before we get out into the country where the horror element starts to take hold and mm-hmm. all the, the the disparate elements begin to, be, to 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 take shape and kind mm-hmm. of coalesce into mm-hmm. the finding of the decapitated head the buried you know the buried mm-hmm. decapitated head and the mm-hmm. the resurrection of mm-hmm. Alaric de Marnac and mm-hmm. and then things you know spiral into the the massive collection of bizarre horror tropes thrown mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. and spun into a strange web mm-hmm. that we've all come to know and love as horror rises from the tomb so if like i say i can see his point of view if you're wanting that kind of thing the, the kind of thing mm-hmm. that the last half of the film has or the last you know mm-hmm. 40 minutes of the film has that that uh you want that spread out throughout the entire mm-hmm. film the thing is that's that's not, how, that's not how this film, that's not how a whole lot of films of the type, of mm-hmm. that of the yeah. genre mm-hmm. from that period are done, because the, the I, won't, I won't refer to it as slow build, because that's not really what mm-hmm. we're talking about here. It's not a slow burn, it's not a slow build, it's that there's a sense of setting place and setting atmosphere that either you have the patience for, or you look for and enjoy in a story...
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, or you don't. Yeah. And uh, he seems to have enjoyed the film enough. I know. Okay. I know. I know. Yeah, he's. I know, I, he's I know. He's now gone on to see uh, uh, at least one more Nashi film. Mm-hmm. I, I think he sat down and watched uh, uh, Doctor Jekyll and the Werewolf.
3: Oh, cool. Okay. And
2: right. I'll be. I'd I'll be interested. He, yeah. I'd love yeah. to know what
3: he thinks about that. Now he does get points for falling in love with Emma Cohen because we all did. You know, we all have. And <laughs> well, you know, because she's yeah, just I mean, yeah, she, and she does really kind of steal the show. You know, I mean, yeah. really, ultimately, she and one of the things I love about the film is that. Uh, that is, is, how long, is it, That there's no real, like, kind of focal hero for so long through the film. I mean, through all the films. So one of the of,
0: things that I, I like. think it's.
3: I know. I think it's fascinating. Damn. The film, you keep thinking, okay, okay, here's our hero. Okay, no, no, he's on the side that now he's been possessed, and so it's going to be this Oh No, now he's dead. Or it's yeah. going to be, which of the women? Okay, this is going to be our heroine. No, it's not her, you know. And so it, it takes so long before we suddenly, finally realize that Emma Cohen has been our Heroine all along, she's actually been it was going to be our our, 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 our final character, you know, along. yeah. And uh, but 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 the um, just the film. I don't know how much you should I mentioned or talk about the ending in this, or did you would you not to?
2: honestly, I think it's just fine too because. Yeah. Um, Yes, I, I will say right now. If uh, for the next few minutes we're going to discuss a few spoilers, if you care about that one way or another, be aware, skip forward, something along those lines. But yeah, go right, go right well, ahead. I
3: was just gonna say, uh, I I think the whole ending of the film, because even though yeah, she is the manages to survive, it's like she's pretty much just kind of shattered by the end. I mean, it's one of those oh, films have, where yeah. just literally like every you know everybody is either dead or just totally like blasted mentally by the end of this film. I mean, just the fact that she. You know, she has the, which, of course, is another one of those crazy elements, the whole Thor's hammer thing, that they bring out this whole Nordic uh, sort of <laughs> mythology know, that they throw in. Where did
2: the, yeah, I know. But,
3: but once she's killed, you know, once she's killed. killed the evil, you know, and she's essentially defeated the evil, the fact, you know, that last scene of her just throwing it into the water, like, which is essentially this thing that's been protecting, you know, that's been proven to ward off evil or protect against, against evil. You know, it's almost like in a sense of, like, in some way she's, even though she's survived, like, she's also, like, defeated, too, or some way, that she's died on yeah, some level, way she just it's, kind it's of throws strangely, that stuff. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, you're right, that that her tossing that into that mm. the water at the end of the film is a strangely nihilistic act. It it's is. It's something it that is. I don't... Mm. I... I I really appreciate it at the end of the film because it's it's a it's yet another mm. like little downbeat element yeah. there at yeah. the end of the film because yes, of course the mm. evil has been defeated and yeah. and you know good has conquered, but mm. good Lord. <laughs> The 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 fallout from this yeah. is horrible. Yeah,
3: and it's like, and what if it comes back? It's like you've just basically, how are the next people going to find this? You've thrown it into the lake now. Just, I mean, again, it's just a very, like you said, nihilistic, just downbeat kind of ending, you know. For
2: uh, as we, as we've talked about before, a very seventies ending.
3: Very much so, very much so, and that's what I love. I think the film is is one of the best examples too that I I, uh, I I love to point to is as 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 treading that line, you know, that bear that that blurring those two, you know, the ending of the classic horror you know merging into the modern horror film you know that's uh
2: Yeah very true because this is to let's be uh straightforward mm-hmm. this is very clearly a monster film Alric de yeah. is not well, he's not a vampire necessarily, but mm-hmm. there's this odd bit of cannibalism. The way the yeah. way Alaric de Marnac and his his uh, betrothed, his mm-hmm. his beloved mm-hmm. uh, Helga Lene, they're they're resurrected, and the way they survive, the way they continue their life, mm-hmm. is very vampiric in that yeah. they eat human hearts, mm-hmm. which is not your average is, way no. for a monster a, to stay alive. But it is.
3: Well, at the beginning, when they're executing, they're like, you know, Count of, you've done all these things, you're you're werewolves and and, and vampires, and it's <laughs> like, no, they're Actually, much worse than all this stuff you just described here. <laughs> they're, know, they're, they're freaking cannibals, and apparently,
2: their yeah. their cannibalism is is. Has the power to keep them alive indefinitely, yeah.
3: and they're so great. They look so great together, too. I'm always amazed. Yeah. They just make such a great. I think in the original podcast, I called them the John and Yoko of the uh, supernatural of the of the of the demonic world or whatever you know. But they just look they just look like just so they're just such a great pair together, you know. And they just look great together. You and know? I did
2: find it interesting that Christopher seemed uh, distracted by the nudity in the film.
3: Yeah, it's like I'm. I can never. do I can, it's, never, it's, I can yeah,
2: never be distracted by nudity yeah. in a film. I'm very happy when the nudity yeah. is there. And if you want to call it distracting, yeah. that's okay. Okay, I'll take the distraction.
3: I guess he's, I guess he's saying that that he thinks it just it, it detracts from what should be the horrific aspect of them appearing in these people's bedrooms and murdering people at random in this town. Instead, he thinks that it, he's saying that if they appear in these people's bedrooms and the people immediately disrobe before them then it suddenly becomes softcore sex as opposed to where it's supposed to be like something you know horrific or whatever I guess is maybe what he's but just I just, did, but the, but the, the but film
2: it, so very clearly makes it obvious that these two that they're, that they're hypnotizing that these
3: people which vampires are you know which I mean you know that's been a trope of vampire films and, and that kind of scene we've seen that kind of scene for years but yeah um, um yeah I know I found the, the nudity quite pleasing actually uh, it's, it's, <laughs> so, so no problems here but uh but, uh, but I have
2: forgotten just how um, going back and watching this, and then watching the uh, the alternate clothes scenes uh, on the, of course, what I have is the old uh, BCI DVD. Seeing the alternate clothes scenes and realizing that oh wow, because there are scenes where mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't consider it a nude scene mm-hmm. when Helga Linna is standing there in something very sheer. sheer. Yeah, right. Yeah, but then you see the alternate scene yeah. and she's standing there in that, that black dress. And right. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I guess that would be considered nudity. I, yeah. I, I see, I can see that. Yeah. But there's just nothing about it that I don't, I don't know because there's so many other nude scenes in the
3: movie. Those shots of her in that sheer piece of fabric <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah.
2: does strike me. This, this, it doesn't strike this, me as nudity. It's like, this is
3: as modest as this lady gets, you know, this is basically, <laughs> but, but, but well, I think, uh, um, I, I've said before, you know, whenever there's like on the DVD and it has this as here's it is as I always say, it's the least watched extras in history, you know, or the extras, the ones that I always like clothed version, you know, it's like these are the, you know, it's gonna be the least watched extra, and yet, you know, but I, so I love the fact that Christopher actually prefers. I think that's, I think it's great. I, I It makes me doubt his sanity, well, but, uh, but I think it it's makes never, me doubt his sanity. <laughs> but <laughs> I think okay. it's great that there's somebody who's actually like, no, damn it, I prefer that. I well, prefer now this is solution. interesting
2: to know. You mentioned earlier that the Crimson Blu-ray presents both versions of the film complete. So right. you have mm-hmm. the option yeah. of watching either right. the clothed mm-hmm. or the nude version. Mm-hmm. And if someone in the future were to do that with horror rises from the tomb or in yeah. b- actually with all of the various Spanish produced horror films yeah. that were that have both mm-hmm. a clothed and a nude mm-hmm. you know have alternate scenes. Yeah. Man, that'd be great because of course the technology is mm. certainly there. We know that a mm. Blu-ray can certainly hold mm. the you know has the space to hold yeah. two different versions of the film well. on the same disc, so that would be fantastic.
3: Yeah. And also, uh, if they could uh, cut in some scenes from Mad Max, it might make uh, Christopher like the film uh, uh, more. <laughs> might make the pacing. Maybe he'll find the pacing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Chris. Nah, I'm Master just having fun with you, Chris. I'm just having fun with it.
2: But no, no, no. That's I mean the, that that's something that uh, <laughs> and this is maybe a bit of a deeper discussion for for uh, another time. But I'll just touch on it here. The idea. To me, this is something that I've noticed. uh, And I've noticed it because, well, sometimes I spend a little bit of time around, uh, let's just say, a younger person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, A Mm 19-year-old. And uh, there are older films that he can't get into because specifically because mm-hmm. of the pacing, mm-hmm. which is why I will trap him in a movie theater and make him watch yeah, them right. because yeah. then the pacing doesn't matter to
3: him. <laughs>
2: um, he, uh, this particular 19 year old I recently took to see the restored, uh, phantasm and he reacted wonderfully to it. Yeah. And this is the same guy who has reacted very, very effective, very, very well to uh deep red and uh planet mm-hmm. of the apes and mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. Once you're in a movie theater, I think a lot of that thought about I think one of the one of the things about pacing is that once you're in a movie theater, mm-hmm. the pacing's got to be glacial for you to feel like the movie's not moving forward because it's a very different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. there are no distractions. Yeah, uh, there's there's not uh, there are not other things. You're not at home where other things can pull your attention no. away even yeah, if right. you know, even for a moment. Oh yeah, and I think that um, the theatrical setting. For films like this, change your view of the movie and change Mm -hmm. your view of what the pacing is meant to be or how it should be. So there's a certain thing that I've noticed in this age where most people see most films at Uh home on video. And that is that there is less patience for a film that's setting the scene deliberately. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a problem for a lot of films of the 70s -hmm. because there is a whole subset of 70s horror mm-hmm. that goes out of its way to build its locations, build its mm-hmm. uh characters and build the world that it is putting the story in mm-hmm. carefully and deliberately. In a, in a I should say in a very detailed way
3: mm-hmm.
2: through the paces of setting the story up before, you know, letting the plot mm-hmm. begin to unfold. Yeah. And so the modern audience, I think, has a tough time digesting this unless mm. they're watching it in a movie theater. Mm. Because once okay. you're at home, it changes the dynamic between you and the film to a large degree. And, I, I, mm. I of course, I've noticed this in myself for oh, years sure. and yeah, years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which definitely. is that uh, I, will, I will end up watching a movie in chunks, mainly mm. because I'll watch a movie for 20 or 30 oh, minutes. Same here. And... Uh, I've got to pee or man I would like to get something to drink or Mm. oh crap I just remembered I need to email that person or whatever and I'll pause the movie go do that and then come back ten
3: minutes later just by the time you know I'm able to even sometimes settle down to even start to watch a movie it's already like so like you know by the time I've done everything else the friggin night whatever that I've got to do then I sit down and watch it and I already go with the idea the kind of knowledge like okay I'm probably going to watch about Thirty minutes of this tonight, try and do the next thirty minutes tomorrow night, and yeah. just kind of that sort of thing. So yeah, it's not not often these days that when you when you hit the adult world, it's not often you just get that luxury to uh, sit and just absorb a film from start to finish without something kind of you know wrapping on your shoulder, like saying like, hey, remember you know got to do this, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah.
2: The the thing is, um, I understand I understand this reaction because, and I think, like I say, some of it is a change in how we view films primarily Mm -hmm. at home and Mm -hmm. also a change in how we view the way films Mm -hmm. should tell their story. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot less interest these days in uh, films from the 70s -hmm. where the pacing is different, where the pacing is not rat-a-tat-tat. We do not uh, have the... uh, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I love fast-paced movies. I like oh, I sure, love movies yeah. that that too. that do yeah. that. But not all stories should be told right. at a fast pace. Right. And I love a movie that takes its time and builds atmosphere and sets its scene very carefully. And I I can I have watched I've sat in a theater and watched a movie and enjoyed it and known the whole time I'm watching it I'm one of like 500 people who will enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm one mm-hmm. of you know yeah. less than two thousand people who will ever. Mm-hmm. watch this film and mm-hmm. really absorb it the way that the the filmmaker was clearly hoping mm-hmm. that you would enjoy it. Yeah. And so um uh, I think his reaction to it is not surprising in a way. Mm-hmm. I of course mm-hmm. had hoped for, yeah. you know, an enthusiastic, oh, spastic yeah. over the but top, no.
3: over the moon kind of Yeah, but I mean I think we all yeah, we all know that we we all know this genre Euro horror is, is like, yeah, that's it's it's one that, that 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 not every film and and there's other films that, that he may love Far more than this, yeah. that just you know, uh, and and yeah, that's the but that's the fun of, of sharing it, you know, and getting people to watch it and seeing what their reactions are, you know, and yep. see what, I mean there's probably people out there who watch *Horror Rising with the Tomb* and think it's just a god awful, horrible film, you know, terrible oh, film, course, you know, yeah. depending on what you're. Uh, you know, depending on what their background is or what they come to expect from a film, and uh, uh, but I, I really appreciate Chris for playing along, and uh, and I'll be interested to know what his, what his future reactions to Nasy films are. You know, that yeah, uh,
2: yeah i I would love it if we can get him to uh, if we can get him to uh, call in and give us his informa- mm. give us his impressions of uh,
3: mm. any future Nasy films that he. Just so we can ream him more. No, I'm kidding. kidding. No, 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 no. It's like... <laughs> but hey, it's fair play. He's got a podcast and he can ream us just as badly. So he can do so. But he
2: doesn't. We should play nice.
3: I don't know. We are. We are really nice. And actually, actually, I will throw out a quick fun fact at you, Christopher, because I think I threw this out in our first, first time we did Horror Rises from the Tomb. I didn't go back and check it again, but I remember that I counted the... Number of deaths in the film, number of deaths in the film, and compared it to the amount of running time, and I think I figured out that there's one death per every five minute of screen of of film. You know, so oh yeah, so 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 like I said, I have to say like you know, pacing may be one thing, but hey, you know, what what more can you want when it comes to body count? You know, that's that's pretty extreme.
2: (laughs) I'm just gonna quote uh, one little thing here. Mm -hmm. This is uh, Mm -hmm. this is some this is these are span these are. Paul Nashe's own words about Horror Rises from the Tomb, and I'm not going to read the whole piece. Right. But for Believe me, for, for an in-depth discussion, uh, discussion of this, let me once again recommend episode number two of the Nashie Cast. But I do love this fact, that the fact that he said that, uh, he, he said, uh, let's see, Horror Rises from the Tomb is considered a mythic film, a cult film, and it is regarded as one of the best films of the Spanish fantastic cinema. I believe there are better ones, but clearly it has a special personality with a totally unhealthy atmosphere that permeates the entire length of the film. And I'm going to agree with Mister yeah, Nash on that. Yeah, I think yeah. that is one of the the takeaways from this movie is that it is it is distinctly unique mm-hmm. in that there's not mm-hmm. really another one of his movies that feels like. This I don't film. think
3: there's any other film at all that feels like this film. I would go that far as to say. I mean, there's other films that <clears throat> that set an incredible atmosphere of their own. You know, yes. the first tombs of the Blind Dead, like we mentioned earlier, has an incredible atmosphere yes. of so own. There's many films that have their own. You know, Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, has an incredible feel and so, You know, many films you can said about, but I think this. Film carves out a world and an atmosphere all its own that I don't think any other film has. Really, and not just Nashi film, but I can't think of any other film that's like this one.
2: So. Oh, I agree. And now that I'm thinking about it, the there there are a handful of films that, that come to mind immediately that that kind of set their own atmosphere that mm. don't that I don't know of another film that mm. replicates that. Mm. And the most recent example I can give for that would be
3: uh, It Follows. I was just gonna say that. Oh, so, really? Yeah, really? I was okay. Just gonna so. say It Follows was was a perfect perfect example too. Of that. It, yeah. it
2: it has its own pace. Its own uh, atmosphere, its uh, own uh, clearly even its own. It, it, it takes place clearly in an alternate reality. Yeah, yeah, sure. Where yeah, the, yeah. you know the 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 world is very much like our own, mm. and yet Some different. In s- yeah, so, weird, different, yeah, weird, odd little yeah. ways. Yeah, you know, yeah. And that is the feeling that I get from horror rises from the yeah, tomb as yeah, well, which is yeah. it's very clearly 1972,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but once the 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 horror elements begin mm. to creep into modern day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm the world begins to subtly change and it's not just because they become completely isolated and they have no way to get out of this situation mm-hmm. and they're you know being mm-hmm. beset by you know mm-hmm. hideous monsters of every mm-hmm. type and variety mm-hmm. that you can name yeah. but because it just seems that 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 isolation mm. becomes something that is part of the story to the degree, to yeah. degree that the isolation is well, almost a character
3: that looms yeah. over the entire and, picture and just the cold is the is a yes. character in this film i mean the fact that you know again we always have to uh, give props to these uh, wonderful women who agreed to wear these like mini skirts in, <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh sometimes just i think were just shirts even i don't think they're even skirts just shirts with no pants or something they're so short you know but it's just like uh, in these subarctic subarctic temperatures know. you know
2: and there's and there's a point where you're right i think that there's a scene where emma cohen is wearing as well it's essentially uh I won't call it a miniskirt because it's just a very short dress. Yeah, yeah. And there's a part of me that's wanting to like give that woman a blanket and put a coat on. <laughs> well, her, like Christopher mentioned
3: that he gives her, you know, that she actually she knows to wear. You know, she wore jeans when it's time to actually go out and fight, yeah. you know. But I, I always just picture my mind, I was picturing McCohen just finally go up to the director and saying, "Look, you know, fuck this. You know, I'm not. <laughs> I've got to wear some clothes. I've got to wear some frigging pants in subarctic temperatures out here." But I just think that coldness is just so much a part of the bleakness of the film, man. I mean, everybody yeah. just looks cold and, well, and those, bleak. Those in, so. scenes,
2: those incredibly creepy scenes where um, uh, the, the, there's snow falling. There's yeah, you know, yeah. some snow falling, and yeah. it's not. there's not enough snow for it to lay on the ground and cover mm. the ground, mm. but it's still clearly snowing. Mm. And that incredibly creepy scene where uh, Vic Winter and Paul Nashy go out on, mm. uh, onto oh. that little lake yeah. and sink those bodies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. so freaking creepy. And yeah, it, it, it looks cold. It's just a beautiful... It's, first of all, it's a beautiful shot, and it's mm. also... The, the scene starts, and mm-hmm. you're like, "What the hell are they doing?"
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you realize what they're doing, and then they start talking about it while they're doing it, and you yeah. realize, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Here's their justification for yeah. what they're doing, and they're clearly terrified out of their mind, but they can't think of anything else to do. Right? And it's, I, yeah. I There's, there's so much built into this film that I, I think, is phenomenal, and just it, there's so much that it's done that it does well that the, uh, the odd nature of it uh, becomes part of why i love the film
3: mm-hmm. i i, I yeah. don't
2: uh, it's not the same kind of problems there it's not the same kind of thing that i would descri- describe as a problem in something like count dracula's great love where there are obvious narrative screws yeah, where there's right, things like yeah. i don't understand what you're doing here right yeah and we can all point with count dracula's great love to the to the production history and the problems with mm-hmm. having to shut the film down and come back mm-hmm. and and you know you know months later and mm-hmm. and pick up production mm-hmm. but with this one the odd narrative pieces are clearly built within the story. In yeah, other words, yeah. they're, they're put there
3: yeah.
2: to put you off kilter mm-hmm. and then introduce information that allows you mm-hmm. to accept right. the odd thing that you just saw. Right. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I think it's utterly fascinating that they, they're, there are things that they don't underline. They don't draw attention mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. until it's mm-hmm. in your face and mm-hmm. you're going, what the hell, what the hell? And then you realize, Oh, okay. Okay. Now mm-hmm. I understand. You know, yeah. it's, it's, while the scene is going on or even after the scene of horror has mm, happened mm-hmm, that you realize, mm-hmm. oh, 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 okay, this may, okay, now mm-hmm. I understand why. In, in other words, mm-hmm, yeah. it's almost like we want to shock you. We want to give you this, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to have a zombie attack out of yeah, freaking right. blue right? and you're going to
5: yeah.
2: watch the entire scene and, and kind of, mm-hmm. kind of be impressed with, you know, the, the violence of the scene and the way mm-hmm. it's structured and, mm-hmm. and uh, the, yeah. the resolution of it and then at the end of it, it's going you know, a line of dialogue or something is going to be laid in front of you and make you go, Oh, yeah, okay, okay. The, zomb- the zombies didn't just appear out of nowhere. We recognize those dead bodies. Yeah, Boom, right. Who they, The resurrection of the dead the, by the, Alaric yeah. de yeah. Oh, of course. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that thing of we're not going to have Alaric de go, I will now we're raise no, right, the, the dead. Right. We're not going to see it happen. It's yeah.
3: just going to, yeah, exactly. I will now raise the dead it's, and it, send it, it to it, attack it, the it. living. <laughs> no, no,
2: no, no, no. Fuck yeah. that. We're just going to have it drop yeah. into your lap and then. Mm-hmm. Have it shock you, have you get through mm-hmm. that scene and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, yeah. take your breath and then go, <clears throat> here's the reason. Here's yeah. how this happened.
3: And, I, yeah, I love the And I love the, uh, I really enjoy this one. Of my We had people have asked us from time to time about, you know, doing a show on the soundtracks, you know, or the music. I can say this is actually a soundtrack that I really love, the music in this yes. film. Yes. I can see how some people might have an issue with it because a lot of it is the heavy kind of they might feel it heavy handed maybe almost kind of corny or cheesy to an effect because it's just so much of it is based around the kind of the organ, the, yeah. the organ yeah. that some people might feel that it's almost like too um, um, anachronistic maybe or like just too like it's, huh. like it's something I don't know but I think it's perfectly fits. I think it just it feels it's so funereal and and dirge like that. Yes, I think yes. it fits with that tone of the film. Now, again, I could see how somebody could watch it and feel that it adds to the tediousness of the film because of, because oh. of it being not really super dynamic music, but just this kind of, you know, droning kind of organ thing that might actually work on somebody and make them feel that, that actually adds to the slow pace. I can see that to me, it added to that whole nightmarish kind of funeral feel of the, you know, just the bleakness of the film. So I I actually love the soundtrack.
2: Well, that's something now that we've, uh, introduced this film to someone who, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, expressed, Mm -hmm. uh, less than absolute and total and complete love for the film. Um, now, should we kind of reevaluate this as a film to use to introduce people to Paul Nashie? Because of mm. the elements that we're talking about that make it Ooh, difficult for yeah. someone coming into these movies with a very little frame of reference to kind of accept. And the music, we, your, your discussion of the music does push me in the direction of thinking that that is an element that, although I love it, yeah, I think yeah. it fits the film perfectly and yeah. I think it's wonderful, mm-hmm. it is an element that you're right, mm-hmm. could be seen as something that that, that, that kind of depresses the energy of the film for
3: somebody. And is there and, and is there like too much here? Is Are there so many elements in here? Should you introduce somebody to a film that's maybe a little more of a straightforward, like one of the werewolf films that's a little more of just sort of a straightforward, like here, you know, even though, the maybe, br- you maybe. know, that's... I th- I'm my only feeling of holding this film back and not being the first one to introduce somebody to is just literally because maybe it almost overshadows what would come after it like you know and almost like uh, because there's a movie if you if you start them out with this does everything after it seem like a little bit of a letdown because this is just so because <laughs> this is so full of stuff but 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 you know but there's a, there's definitely the opposite argument too is you could say like no I'd rather some people might say like no this this film is 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 too out there and and crazy and and, and, and a mess or whatever story that's something might feel like it's got too many elements maybe it would be better to just take one of his more kind of universal pictures riffs here on his werewolf character or something and something that's yeah. even those films usually have a lot of I mean he always throws disparate elements into his films you know, that's part of a yeah. nashy. that's a nashy trademark true uh, so yeah it's interesting you know you, you, you really might almost want to start him off with the first one because it's the most classic that's it's, what the I'm most, waiting it's almost for, the closest yeah. to a classic horror film it tells us more of, a, some of the most straightforward story. I mean, even though, it, you know, yeah, it's got two vampires and, and don't look for Frankenstein in it because he's not in it. If it you see it under the title well, of Frankenstein's r- 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 Bloody r- r- Terror, yeah, but, but really, that's yeah. the one that might be the one really a good one to start people off with is Mark of the Wolfman. Might be a good one. That's a good starting might, point. It might, it might well be. Maybe that is
2: the, the better entry point as it, it being the first, it being a werewolf film, mm-hmm. it being something that mm-hmm. I think visually, if you've watched Hammer films, will, it, that, that, it's colorful enough. And it leans in that direction, yeah, while, yeah. while not being a gothic tale, it right. still mm-hmm. looks mm-hmm. a bit more like one of the Hammer films. Yeah. Just yeah. visually, yeah. it has those, yeah. it has certain elements that that mm-hmm. key into that. Well, so yeah. well, maybe maybe so.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If we get, if we can get. Um, Christopher to watch uh, Mark of the Werewolf maybe we can get Mar- Mar- Mark of the Wolfman I forget the, co- the correct
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, was it Mark of the Wolfman or Mark of the Werewolf 1968 Come I on, think help. Wolfman I think, I think, Mark, think Wolfman. Mark of the Wolfman if, Mark, if can we can get him to, to check that one out and see if yeah. that one uh, yeah. see if that one works better yeah, for him that would be interesting that would yeah. be interesting uh-huh. but uh, but uh, Christopher thank you very yeah, appreciate much
3: appreciate it appreciate it
2: uh, for, uh, for giving us your thoughts on the film mm. um, I have recalled The Assassins <laughs> there will be there will be no visit yeah. you will yeah. be fine mm-hmm. um Any anyone knocking at your door in the dead of night is Mm. is actually someone who needs your help. So answer the door, and everything will be fine. I promise.
1: (laughs) (coughs) Yeah.
2: Anyway, (laughs) thank you very much, Christopher. And uh, I think that uh, this brief look back at *Horror Rises from the Tomb* will will close it down. Now, Um, I want to thank. Everyone for listening to
3: this yeah. and, uh, and all these it, years listening to to yeah, listening well, yeah, to well, yeah, well, yeah, we'll the podcast
2: in general, right? And uh, we'll we'll be back in a few minutes. We've got a, a, a brief little thing to discuss, but I just want to say that if you have a specific Nashi film that we covered early on that you would like us to revisit and kind of uh, uh, give our you know give mm-hmm. a give a, mm-hmm. a 2016 mm-hmm. take or mm-hmm. a 2017 take yeah, right. by the time we get to it, who knows. Mm-hmm. On uh, on a film that we covered in like the first year, or the first even the first two years of the podcast, just to see if uh, mm-hmm. we see anything new in it or something that something that uh, we find um, our our impressions have changed mm-hmm. about over time. Let us know mm-hmm. if there's one that you'd like to see us return to. I've certainly uh, got a few that I would like to return to and kind of uh, revisit and rewatch and mm-hmm. see how I feel about it now mm-hmm. versus yeah. you know six years yeah. ago. Yeah. So uh, any any suggestions in that direction, please write to us at nashicast at gmail.com. We'd be glad to hear from you. Also, you can join us uh, over on the uh, Nashicast Facebook page, which if you scroll back far enough, I'm assuming you'll be able to find Troy's a uh, little write up on his revisit mm-hmm. to Count Dracula's Great Love from mm-hmm. some time ago maybe yeah. we ought to maybe yeah. you ought to repost that yeah yeah I should do that way way again out.
3: I'll do it again and see just what you think re- of yeah. it it was, it was fun to write it was fun to do that fun to watch it again and, 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 and kind of just write a little bit of an essay on it uh, so yeah I'll put that up on the page again
2: yeah yeah and uh Thank you once again for listening. We were gonna we're gonna take a a, a little break here, then we will come back and we uh, we will talk a little bit more. Let you know what we're gonna be doing about. Let's see next month and the month after that, and the month yeah, after right. that. Yeah. So we'll let you know what we've got coming up on the show.
1: Death is on its way. Beware the hunchback of the morgue. a freak of nature, a slave with a body broken from torture. A maniac with crimes beyond your wildest terrors. What kind of underground horror chamber is he building? What kind of monster is he creating? Why does he need more and more flesh? Who is he? What is his weird secret? The secret that strangles an entire city with fear? The secret you will remember all the way to your coffin? The secret that made him the hunchback of the moor.
2: of an odd little mailbag section here. Not really uh, uh, an email written to us, but something written in response to uh, uh, something that Troy and I did last month. Now, over on The Bloody Pit, we're continuing our series of looks at different Toho monster films. And last month, we covered Godzilla vs. Gigan. If you haven't picked up that episode Mm -hmm. and listened to us talk about that film, let me send you on over there and let you check it out.
3: Check it out and then come back here and we'll be waiting.
2: (laughs) Yes. Pause here for people to go download Mm -hmm. the other show. (laughs) Um... One of the things that got brought up in an email in that podcast uh, was the idea of um, fandom and the uh, the idea of uh, fans who've been around and been uh, aficionados of a particular mm. type of fandom, uh, either it, whether it be Godzilla films or just any other particular subset of uh, mm. fandom. Um, the, the attitudes that sometimes all of us at one time or another have probably run into, um, which is someone who's been a fan of something for a very long time, feeling a sense of entitlement over that particular subgenre or the, the topic at hand or, or uh, a writer or a, a film or anything of that nature, and kind of denigrating newcomers to it, people who are just discovering these particular works or these these you know the genre or the filmmaker or the, the writer or whatever it may be and um kind of being a an asshole quite bluntly, <laughs> about uh the fact that these newcomers are coming along well after this person was uh-huh. was was uh-huh. a big fan of this particular thing uh-huh. and i think we've all run across this and and uh i i uh when we were discussing this i admitted up front that i i was one of those types of assholes uh-huh. when i was younger and i think uh-huh. that's that's I think that unfortunately that is part and parcel of being a young foolish dipshit <laughs> is that you do mm-hmm. adopt a rather mm-hmm. <sighs> dickish tone mm-hmm. when someone comes along who's less informed on mm-hmm. a particular subject that's near and dear to your heart and you decide to mm-hmm. act like a dick, act like a scumbag and, and just treat them as if you know it's, it's so cute of you to be coming along mm-hmm. and, and wanting to read uh, Robert E. Howard stories. And, and oh, yes, mm-hmm. it's, it is so wonderful that you've acknowledged that there was something besides mm-hmm. the movie Conan the Barbarian. And, oh, aren't you, aren't you cute to think <laughs> that all those other stories written by people who are Robert E. Howard are actual Conan stories. <laughs> oh, how sweet. You see where I'm going with this, because I'll tell you up front that I ran across a number of people When I expressed my interest in Robert E. Howard stories in my younger days who acted as if I just came in and urinated on their shoes Mm -hmm. because I hadn't read all of the Robert E. Howard stuff and was not yet informed well enough to know that, you know, he only wrote so many of them Mm -hmm. and that actually he wrote a lot of other types of stories. And Mm -hmm. yes, I was young and I didn't know. And, of course, what, I, what did I do? Did I learn from that experience and never treat other people that way? No, of course not. I was also, given enough time, that same kind of ass who made other people feel bad because they just discovered something that I've known about for years. In other words, I was a dick. And I've been around those kind of people, and I've been that kind of person. But in examining this and talking about this a little bit because of a an email who's kind of, who, that, that kind of pushed us to, to discuss that um, mm. that particular way of looking at things you know uh, I confessed mm-hmm. Troy talked about it mm-hmm. a little bit as well sure and one of the things that um, we, we kind of circled around was trying to find a way to to talk about this that was not just confessional and mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. A, a look at it from an older perspective where we've kind of <laughs> I've, mm-hmm. I, my, I mm-hmm. myself have given up on that kind of shit mm-hmm. you like what you
3: like mm-hmm
2: if I don't like it, I'll tell you why. I'll express mm-hmm. my dislike of yeah. it, and I'll explain to you why I don't like it. And 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 if you want to, we can go through you know mm-hmm. line by line about why mm-hmm. I dislike or mm-hmm. do like something. And that's the way mm-hmm. it should be. Mm-hmm. But I I'm no longer the the level of asshole mm-hmm. who's got to make somebody else feel bad because they just discovered something mm-hmm. that I've known about for years. Mm-hmm. I feel that that's stupid. Mm-hmm. So. I'm, to be blunt, I'm just mm-hmm. glad that you know about it now
3: <laughs>
2: you know? yeah. well, why do you think I take a nineteen year old to go see phantasm? You need to see this nice. you right. need to know so mm-hmm. we discussed that on there and uh one of our listeners wrote in with uh with a comment about this and actually uh in in uh, in this response to that uh, actually came up with the the phrase that I think best describes this attitude toward mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Neophyte fans, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think I'll just re- I'll just read this off. I, I got her permission. Uh, this is from uh, from Vila Wolf. Uh, a Facebook friend and uh, a longtime listener to all yeah. of our podcasts. I, yeah, I say. believe
3: uh, was it was it wasn't she the one who came up with uh, came up with uh, the Nashi Musk? Uh, was oh, it mine. Who gave us, I think she gave us the. Uh, I think she did. Think In I which believe.
2: case, we owe her a yes, large. of yes, she, gratitude. she gave yes. the
3: great the great concept of the Nashi Musk. I believe. Came I, from think Beowulf, may, I think you may
2: be right. You may be right. I would have to check back through our archives. Yeah. In other words, please someone else check back through our
5: archives.
2: <laughs> uh, but here's what she had to say. She said, uh, regarding that uh, that email, she says, the polite term I've heard for those kinds of fans is gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. The general population of planet Earth, though, they are thought of as the grievously narcissistic, malingering, urine reeking mental midgets with the natural grace of a swamp rat.
1: <laughs>
2: Being a female nerd and horror fan, I've had more than enough experience dealing with these fucktards. I don't have to answer for... L- I don't have to answer to you for liking something nor do I or anyone else ever have to prove themselves quote unquote fan enough you should hear some of the shit that's been said to me over the years by these self-imposed keepers, these sheep molesting cacophonous catastrophes (laughs) they can all go swan dive into an empty pool that said, females who've been the target of gatekeepers as a female, female myself, just FYI all you gatekeepers out there we know, oh, do we know, the ones who've, quote, got no lead in their pencil based on how quickly and how viciously it turns from answer my quiz to you're a girl.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I see where you're coming from, Vila.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I, like
2: sure. I say, mm-hmm. I will confess, and I will continue mm-hmm. to confess, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. in my younger days, mm-hmm. low those two years ago.
3: No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. C- clear,
2: cl- clearly, anybody who's uh, a, a deep fan of... A lot of different, you know, especially when you start getting off into the weeds into these, these subgenres, uh, whatever it may be. There is a certain attitude that takes shape. You 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 feel as if you own this subject to a degree because of the time that you have spent. Learning about it, studying it, going over mm-hmm. it, and and digging up information about it, or just wallowing in it and enjoying it in mm-hmm. in certain cases. Mm-hmm. And I understand that because I lived through it and I've done it myself. I have mm-hmm. been one of those hideous asshole gatekeepers that mm-hmm. I now look back on and feel ashamed to have been part of. <laughs> I, I really mm-hmm. I have participated in that shit, and I feel like a I feel mm-hmm. like a scumbag for having done it. And I know that there are others out there who've done it as well mm-hmm. and now feel ashamed. And there's a, there's a part of me that feels that it's very possible. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad we had Christopher... Give his two cents worth about mm. horror rises from the tomb now because yeah. I think it allowed us to not just have someone else's ideas to bounce off of someone mm. uh, someone else's perspective, mm-hmm. but it gives us that other view of yeah. someone completely outside of the, the the fandom of Spanish horror films to let us know, hey, you know, not everybody's going to come to this and right. have the same reaction that right. we do. Sure,
3: yeah,
2: but I yeah. I will refuse mm. to look down on these people because no, their no. opinion is different from mine, or because sure, their experience sure. with the film wasn't mm-hmm. what i hoped it mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. maybe their experience will change over time mm-hmm. maybe their experience will become something that informs their view and their love mm-hmm. of different things that they see from that point on i, mm-hmm. I know that's mm-hmm. definitely true of mm-hmm. me but i think that that is pushing me now to want to continue to have that kind of thing in the podcast where mm-hmm. we invite other people's opinions. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, seek these people out, not just through mm-hmm. encouraging you to write us at 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 gmail.com and give mm-hmm. us your opinions on these mm-hmm. films or your opinions on this idea of kind of uh, looking at the gatekeeper idea that, that, that mm-hmm. mental energy spent on, on feeling superior to another mm-hmm. person because you knew about something before they yeah. did yeah. I can't think of a more useless waste of time and sure. energy yeah, than, than that sense of yeah. superiority for absolutely nothing because yeah. you stumbled yeah. across uh, mm-hmm. a short story or a writer mm-hmm. or a movie or a television mm-hmm. show or a piece mm-hmm. of music or anything mm-hmm. before someone else did guess what I'm mm-hmm. still discovering stuff every freaking oh, God, day of yeah. my life yeah. and if mm-hmm. there was some asshole standing over me Mm-hmm. Kind of sneering at me, going, "Oh, really? Just in, just discovering Queens of the Stone Age now, are we? <laughs> well, then, you know, years ago when I when I listened to my first Queens of the Stone Age album, mm-hmm. I might have
3: mm-hmm. that
2: might have very darkly colored yeah. my enjoyment of their music, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't be such a huge fan now. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to push people away from enjoying the stuff that I enjoy by being an asshole. Yeah." And I can see that that is something that has happened to a lot of people. A lot of people.
3: Mm-hmm. And in her case, I can totally, I can I can only imagine having to get past the, not only the gatekeeper, but the boys club mentality too. It's got to have yes. been tough. You yes. know, I can only, you know.
2: And in fandom, that's a horrible, ooh, large, yeah, that's a large yeah. wall to have to yes, scale. It and it's yes, a wall it that shouldn't be there, yeah. but it, it grows up out of, when I think of fandom, okay, mm-hmm. I always, I always refer mentally Mm-hmm. I, my mind casts back, and the first fandom that I know of that I participated in that it w- that was really strong and deep
3: mm-hmm.
2: was very much a boys' club, and that was comic book fandom.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: that was almost exclusively mm-hmm. a boys' club. There was nothing more shocking in the world, yeah. than realizing that there was some girl that mm-hmm. read Spider Man or mm-hmm. some girl yeah. that read Fantastic Four. What the hell? Mm-hmm. What is she getting out of it? She's mm-hmm. a girl. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that is an you know th- th- yeah. this kind of thing that we're talking about grows out of that. It becomes yeah. something yeah. that just grows and metastasizes like a freaking cancer mm-hmm. until it becomes what we're talking about now, which is an ugly thing and thing mm-hmm. and something that is actually very negative in a in how it affects mm-hmm. anybody who might be interested in that thing that you enjoy. I want more people interested in Spanish horror. I don't want to yeah. push somebody oh, away yeah. from it by being an mm-hmm. asshole about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my level of enjoyment yeah. and how long I've been a fan of it, how much more I mm-hmm. know about it and mm-hmm. how much of a dipshit you are for not yeah. having discovered it by now oh, and yeah. that's ridiculous. And I think that uh, I think Vila put, points out very clearly
3: mm-hmm.
2: that yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. The, the the fact that she's a female fan makes it even more difficult. I think that it has gotten, in the past 10 to 12, maybe even 15 years, I think that it's gotten a lot easier. You see a lot more female oh, fandom no out in the no open. Oh, no question. Oh, yeah. And, and, I, and that, that's, that's very, very good because, quite honestly, anything that is a single-gender
3: yeah.
2: yeah. conglomeration of people... Right is going to miss things. It's going to become one of the most inbred, yeah. sad yeah. little discussions that yeah. you can imagine. And that's one reason why I've been very happy to have the very few mm. female participants like oh, Vila and like yeah. Elena, yeah. And people who are yeah. interested in this stuff and are yeah. willing to talk about it and are, mm. and are, and are fans enough to mm. be seriously involved and want to talk about this stuff and want mm. to look at it and treat it seriously. And that's the way it should be. I don't give a shit what your gender is. I don't mm. care what your... Nationality is your yeah. sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. I don't care what your creed, color, or nationality. I give a fuck. Mm-hmm. I want more opinions, and I want more people and more viewpoints on mm-hmm. the subject, whether it's Spanish horror or whatever you want to mm-hmm. talk about. Because then I, much like you, you and I discussing one of these films, yeah, I get to sharpen my thoughts mm-hmm. against yours, mm-hmm. and we get to figure out better how we think and feel about something because we're right. discussing it, because right. of those divergent viewpoints. No no two people see things exactly the same way, and that's why we talk about them. Mm-hmm. Not to win an argument or to make somebody feel like a dickhead mm-hmm. or a, a loser mm-hmm. or a, a Johnny-come-lately or whatever you want to call them, but because... Mm-hmm those discussions from divergent viewpoints yeah. allow you to see things from a different point of view and maybe mm-hmm. discover something about that piece of art or yeah. that piece of music whatever you might sure. whatever we might be talking about something that you may have never even thought about mm-hmm. and that is why being a gatekeeper
3: mm-hmm.
2: is a fucking terrible thing mm-hmm And not just because being a dick is always bad.
3: (laughs) It's because
2: (laughs) being a dick is always bad, but what you're cutting yourself off from Mm -hmm. is a much wider view and a much more incredible experience with the stuff that you already enjoy than you currently have. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that's one of the great things about podcasts. And we've talked about this before, Troy, where it's it's such a joy to be able to have all these people Mm -hmm. involved in this kind of thing. Who want to talk about this stuff? Mm-hmm. Who love talking about this stuff, and not necessarily. And some in some cases, and we've had people write in talking about this, where mm-hmm. they're so glad to be able to have a podcast of whatever type they've discovered mm-hmm. because they don't know anybody who actually likes this stuff yeah. where they live, where they yeah. are. They don't have any friends that enjoy this stuff. Yeah. Gatekeepers, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. it's a bad idea, and it's something that mm-hmm. I think as you get older you drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it certainly Hopefully. happened. It certainly yeah. happened with yeah. me. Right,
3: right, yeah, yeah,
2: but. If we can address this, if we can talk about this, Mm -hmm. maybe it's something that we can get to go away at a younger and younger age. We start talking about it. It's like bullying. The more you talk about the fact that bullying mm -hmm. is a horrible, terrible thing, and this is, let's be blunt, a form of bullying, Mm -hmm. the more you talk about it and the more you make people realize that that is what Mm -hmm. they're doing, that Mm -hmm. what they're doing is wrong and pointless and Mm -hmm. hurtful and, Mm -hmm. to be honest, hurting you just as much as you're hurting someone else in some cases. Right maybe it'll go away faster. Maybe it'll become something that people get through Mm. at a younger and younger age.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, and and I want to, I do want to say, I'm going to say most of this because probably for when we do the next uh, of these Toho films and kind of, because, you know, the, the person who wrote us that original email that kind of set us off on the discussion of this, um, you know, I've since we've have had more discussions uh, with him. And, and, and I did say at the very first that I might have been misinterpreting his email before we even started or what he was trying to say. And he has also apologized to me for he didn't feel that he expressed himself very well. And he was pretty much he was a bit horrified after hearing our podcast because <laughs> oh, yeah. he was yeah. like, oh, my God, he's like he basically said he's like I came off sounding like such an asshole. And I, and I told him, I said, we we were a lot of what we're doing. We're having fun with you, just like was having fun with Chris. I mean, we weren't too, But, you know, I do think that he you know what he was trying to say, I think, was something maybe not totally, you know, I think he didn't come off the way he wanted to, and I'm actually probably going to save, like I said, most of the discussion for that for the next show that I know he'll hear because I want to kind of apologize on the air and kind of clarify a little more what he was trying to say. But I'm not sorry that it got us off on discussing this because it is an actual real thing, regardless of of what he meant to say and how much he meant to say. And I'm glad that it prompted Vila to say what she said because what she said needed to be said, definitely. And my thought about this is that maybe part of this comes from a certain age group age range year certain years of, of, of people who grew up as fans and you and I would be very much in this, is this in this this group of who have grown up in an incredible change of how these how the things we love have become available and how widespread how, how much they're available now as opposed to when we were growing up. I think some people like in our age group now of our generation uh, feels that you know hey I did a lot of work. I did all, I did a lot of heavy lifting for yeah, you guys to be yeah. able to just go onto your computer and immediately dial up a film that go oh well, that sounds interesting I'll watch it now you know whereas is we're
5: yeah, so we maybe are, we had this
3: sort of feel yeah. of like uh, this feel of, like hey we you know we were the ones who were the only person in you know in our whole school or our whole class who even like was into this and we didn't have anybody to talk to about it. we got called uh, we got called names or we got called we got made fun of because you know, because we right. were into this particular thing and we didn't have anybody else, you know, and and now we see all you younger people here who are able to, you know, watch an entire actor or, or monster's filmography, character's filmography, or read their entire output or some band. You know, with me a lot of times being such a music fanatic, as I know you are too, you know, I've, I've sometimes found myself sneering a little bit at the, the way that people are able to build an instant record collection like this now, you know, because yeah. we came from the time when you saved up your money, you bought a record and you lived with that record, you know, because you didn't know how long it'd be before maybe you'd get a chance to get another one. Or even when it came to the days of like the, the used record stores where you could go in and buy, you know, maybe you could go in and buy 10 or 20 vinyl albums for real cheap. But again, you know, you, you, you spun those albums over and over again and you, and you just sat there and used them and you absorbed them and you just, you, you know, you, you, like I said, you just lived those, that music. And if there was a band you wanted to hear that you read about, I always use a Velvet Underground as an example you know for me I mean my god I like Red. I saw Velvet Underground referenced for so many years before I was ever, ever able to actually hear a bit of their music you know me too. Because well, me, I, mean, me too. I mean, I mean I can still remember the, the, the excitement of, of finally coming across one of their albums in an import section in a record store or something you know and, and the kind of thing now we're you know, people now are just like, oh, you know, hey, I've got my, you know, here's my thumb drive. Pop it into your computer, and here's all six thousand albums I own, and you've suddenly got an instant record collection. You know, that yeah. you, but but then the other thinking of that is like, if they enjoy the music, who gives a fuck? And that's what I have to. If they're loving the music, isn't it great? You know, you so like so exciting to run across that. And I, you know, I know people, friends of mine who have kids who just are into so many different kinds of music you know they're not yes. just into the soulless stuff that you hear the soulless pop stuff now that's the popular stuff now you know that, that that you know I do this is my this is the old fart thing that I'm going to stick to is the bad <laughs> you know the bad music of today is the worst music ever made in the history of music you know there's always been and, and that's not just me being I mean that's the truth that's not just me being old saying that because there's always been bad music from every decade
2: oh there's plenty of bad music in every oh, year every yeah. year
3: but the bad music of the path of like the, you know, fifties through the eighties or not even the nineties is is not as bad as and that's just not me being old. I mean the music that the bad music that's been now is is the worst ever made. But there's awesome music being made made now and I love to run across I love it when people turn me on to it. And I love it I love to run across uh, young people who have an incredible knowledge of fifties and sixties and seventies music, you know teenagers who have been and and that's the great thing about now is because they can go on and they can if they've got that curiosity that stuff is just right there at their fingertip that they can go out and hear it, and that's a great thing, so you know so again that's one of the things I have to dial back on myself, you know sometimes is is that kind of attitude of like you know is like oh you know is you 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 know you you guys don't love music the way we loved music and that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know so again that's me being an asshole, that sort of thing so
2: And it's something you you have to learn to let go of. It's one of those things you have to learn to let go of because it's counterproductive to... Mm -hmm. Let me put it to you this way. Mm -hmm. If I like a band Mm -hmm. or a movie or Mm -hmm. a book, Mm -hmm. I want other people to like it as well. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Because if they like it, then we now have another point Mm -hmm. of contact to discuss. We now Mm -hmm. have another Mm -hmm. thing in common that Mm -hmm. draws us together and allows us to communicate Mm -hmm. on a different level. In other words... If we both mm-hmm. uh, have seen the play Hamlet, mm-hmm. then both of us can mm-hmm. reference the play Hamlet mm-hmm. and get deeper meaning out of why I referenced that line right mm-hmm. now. In other words, no. I can communicate mm-hmm. depths of information to you mm-hmm. by simply referencing a specific line from a piece of art that we both know. Right. So, why would I want to cut mm-hmm. these? Why would no. I want to cut these people out of? Mm-hmm. Being giant Beatles fans or giant yes, Stones right, fans right. Or,
3: or whatever they may be, I remember loving it. I remember being so happy when the Clash finally got a, a you know a a hit. Like, yeah, when they went rock the Casbah and, yeah, and shit. Now yeah. you can definitely make this very strong case that that was a band that was not made to have hits. And what I mean by that is psychologically, I think. I think it just crushed Joe Strummer Oh, it I mean, destroyed it, the band, yeah It destroyed, you know So there's that end of it And I hate that I mean, I hated that They didn't have Another ten albums to do And all that You know, because I just love the band so much But I remember being like It was great to ride on the school On the high school bus And hear, you know and hear the clash come over modern radio, radio because I thought they were a brilliant band. I was like, "Yes, people are getting to hear, you know, what a great band this is," you know, because the music was still good. It wasn't like they had to suck to get a hit. I mean, that the combat <laughs> yeah, yeah. combat rock was a fucking great, a great album, album yeah. yeah. So I was really happy for him. I was like, "Yes, yeah, is great that you know that they're that they're that they're suddenly everybody's finding out what a great band this is." know. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's very true. Well. It- that's a we have both gone on it. I know, and, and I, I think we we could, gonna have this to, could be
3: a ten hour you know if yeah. we we're good. But uh, but uh, anyway.
2: I want to I apologize to everyone who if we haven't lost you. Yeah, if
3: we haven't lost you by now, we appreciate you sticking around and, and listening. And yeah, <laughs>
2: I guess we can file this under definitely file this under rant
3: yeah because, this was a rant uh, this was a this is a rant
2: after yeah. me after me saying in the the godzilla versus gigan podcast that i think i don't rant anymore and then realizing <laughs> it, well just
3: you, maybe just i do it. maybe yeah. i do.
2: but it has to be something that i feel strongly yeah. about and and yeah. the thing that i feel strongly about is that this gatekeeping slash bullying thing is something that i participated in like a foolish young boy mm. and i don't want it to continue yeah Mm. And I think that it's pointless to continue. And you're right. The, mm. the person who wrote in and kind of in, 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 mm. in, in, instigated this conversation mm. in mm. Our, mm. our Godzilla versus Gigan podcast was not
3: being a dick. No, no.
2: And I don't want to make him feel bad. And we will address that again yeah, when yeah. we do the next Godzilla episode. Yeah. But it becomes one of those things where something that I hadn't really put a lot mm. of thought into and hadn't really given that much of uh, uh, mental energy to kind of yeah, th- yeah. thinking about. Uh, it is a problem and it still exists. Talking about it is the first step to getting people to recognize Mm -hmm. that that tendency within themselves and therefore to Mm -hmm. kind of address it within their own hearts and think about what they're doing mm. and, and kind of examine their own way of handling the stuff.
3: So. And and at the heart of it all folks is discuss it without taking it friggin' personally, you know. It's like yeah. it's like without having a Facebook like meltdown into, you know, into name calling and just like all Facebook conversations ultimately do. It's like for some reason <laughs> like just debate the stuff. Say your point. Respect the other person's point. Chill out about it. You know, have fun with it don't take it personally if they don't agree with you you know it's uh, anyway that's a whole other rant so <laughs> that's, that's
2: a whole other rant and we'll put that off but I want to apologize to anyone who's just listened to us it's go just through like, this, okay, this and is has a, spent the entire I, time I, rolling their eyes and I'm it's sorry. just like
3: I'm done with this podcast fuck this I'm, I'm you know these guys <laughs> I, are, these, are, these yeah. guys have jumped the shark yeah <laughs> So
2: They're, they've obviously gone insane <laughs> something, is, something has pickled their brains and the, and the wrong synapses are firing so yeah. <laughs> but thank you once again if you have managed to listen to this all the way through and you would like to respond to us and tell us that we're babbling more runs, please mm, write us mm, at nashicast at gmail.com or join us over on the Facebook page and make fun of us there. Whatever you would like to do. Believe me, we've both mm. been fo- foolish youths and we may oh, be a foolish 40-somethings. Foolish,
3: old, yeah, foolish mm. old people too. So.
2: Foolish old folk. <laughs> That's where I'm getting to, damn you. <laughs>
3: Boys, you been damned to hell! Yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna wear an onion on my belt. <laughs> yeah,
5: but
2: nevertheless, thank you very much for listening to us. For listening to us, go on about this, and let's just say uh, we want to tell you that next month there will be another Beyond Nashi episode, and we're mm-hmm. going to do something very, very
3: yes. strange. Yes. yes, we are.
2: Uh, a few months ago, we were introduced to a very strange fact, which is, is there is a um, Spanish made Western, which is mm-hmm. not the weirdest aspect no. of this. But there's a Spanish-made Western that I've been pretty familiar with, although I've never watched. From 1968, a film that is, uh, it's a Spanish-made film, Spanish director, the whole nine yards. And it stars William Shatner.
3: The Shatman.
2: It also stars Joseph Cotton. Yeah. And Rosanna Yanni. Yeah. And uh, 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 Bartaberry. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, Louis Riviera, say, Victor yeah, Israel. Victor
3: Israel, yes. Yeah, so. So, Se- several of the Nashiverse.
2: Yes, exactly. So when we discovered, I had no idea that this film was a Spanish-made film. Mm-hmm. But once we learned that White Comanche is a Spanish-made mm-hmm. Western mm-hmm. with all these points of interest that let us uh, talk mm-hmm. about the Nashiverse, but also allow us to watch William,
3: William Shatner, Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> we could no longer resist. Yeah. So. yeah. Next month here, this will be I guess our second Western after yeah. uh, after Cutthroat, Cutthroat Nine. Nine. Yeah, That's right. True. So, yeah,
2: uh, we're going to sit down and talk about White Comanche from 1968. Right here on the NashiCast feed, we're going to talk about White Comanche, and I I've not seen a minute of this film, and I can't mm. wait to check it out.
3: Mm. Oh, me too. That's going to be fun. Mm.
2: The month after that, that would be the month of December. We'll be uh, drawing the winter blankets around ourselves and cozying up mm-hmm. around the fire to look at the brightly colored Christmas mm-hmm. tree as we sit down with our buddy John Hudson to discuss Mm. Silent Night Deadly
3: Deadly Night. Night. That's right. Our holiday, our second annual holiday horror is going to be Silent Night, Deadly Night. When we may, I think we've talked about possibly even trying to cover the original and the remake. Uh, We'll see if we we can make that happen.
2: I think it it is possible. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's what we'll be doing. That will be, of course, over on the Bloody Pit feed as there is absolutely no way to tie Spanish horror to Silent Night, Deadly Night, except in the most obtuse way. Mm -hmm. So, Next month, White Comanche. The month after that, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh-huh.
3: Uh, and then you probably, uh, you may not know enough to or have enough plan to say anything about here, but just always be paying attention to Rod's Bloody Pit uh, because uh, that that didn't come out right. To Rod's podcast, <laughs> pay attention to <laughs> pay attention to Rod's podcast, which is called the Bloody Pit, because he does many other shows that are not imposed upon by my obnoxious presence. He does many other, so he probably has other episodes of the bloody pit that he will be uh uh showing and having that he will be uh yeah so anyway
2: as long as skype cooperates yes god and and yes uh, skype skype has already interfered with my podcasting (sighs) Mm -hmm. nevertheless thanks everyone for sitting and listening to us babble endlessly about this stuff i hope you enjoyed it at least a smidgen Mm -hmm. and so uh, we will see you next time i am rod barnett i'm troy Gwynn. bye now
5: This real cool dude today Looking like Jack Palance He said I want to get through to you And help you find your talent He said that if I had a certain style This stuff would start to happen He said that soon he was going away Cause he's a major talent Talent Fighting on the east side Talent West side talents fucking up the north side He was getting through to me And I would take his challenge And maybe soon I'd be going away Cause I had certain talents Talent Fighting on the east side Talent Taking on the west side Talent Fucking up the north side I'm a major talent Talent Fighting on the east side Talent on the west side, talent Fucking up the north side I'm make this today Down in the sewers of Paris Was hiding from the sun What a waste of talent